What's happening, you fat bastards? This is Mike. And this is Jim. And you're listening to Podcast Croissant. Hey! Yo, yep. Hey, welcome to our new regular feature. Surprise, you're dead. Heavy breathing, child abusing, marsupial SM expert <laughs> Ralph Hamish is dead. Surprise! Bow legged throat wobbler Tina Turnpike has gone beyond the Thunderdrome city limits and is dead. Surprise! <laughs> Do you like my new feature? Yeah, that's good. Are you going to keep it up every episode? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's insensitive? Well, look, I think. I think. I think Ralph Harris earned the fact that people are going to give him shit forever. I don't know what Tina Turner's done. No, 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 you're wrong. This feature is celebrating Tina Turnpike, whatever she's called. Um, Julian Sands, he died as well. I don't know. Who's that? He was. He's in Warlock. Have you seen Warlock? No. And we're straight in with the film you've got to watch for next episode. <laughs> Warlock from 1990-something with Richard E. Grant and Julian Sands. It's about witchcraft. I'm going to yeah. turn he's, to my... He's an actor. Have you seen um, Girl Warlock. with a Dragon Tattoo? Nah, I always thought that I would wait and finish reading the book and I tried to read the book and it was just very slow. He's in that as well. Uh, you probably know him if you... if you Are you Googling him? Julian Yeah, Sands. I'm doing a little Google of Warlock. He, he went hiking in the California mountains or something and then encountered some really bad weather and went missing and then uh, they found his remains. Oh dear. Warlock. That was a 1989 film. Well, that's appropriate, yeah. Hang on, what's his name? Where am I, where Julian am I Sands. Julian Sands. Okay. Anyway, if anybody is offended by our new feature, surprise, you're dead, then I can change it to, I'm surprised you're not dead. I could talk about people that I'm surprised to find out that they're still alive, like Paul McCartney or Dick Van Dyke. Or um, or Jesus. Jesus, yeah, he's, he's oh, dead. <laughs> <laughs> he did come back briefly. Around Easter time, I think it was. I think he needed some to some eggs, some chocolate eggs, and then he disappeared again. Yeah, uh, cool. I'm I'm still waking up. You keep talking. <laughs> hey, I, I'm I'm distracted too. Julian Sands was in arachnophobia. I saw arachnophobia. Oh, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, sorry. Do you hey again? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to Axel Rose, man? Did you see his performance at Glastonbury? All I saw was. Dave Grohl joining them Bad. on stage for an atrocious version of Paradise City, and yeah, he looks looks like uh, he his mum Beale. went with him. His mum went with him to the hairdresser and said, "I would like you to do this." It looks like someone's auntie. It, lo- <laughs> it looks it looks like Elton John. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what's going on. I mean, like Slash and Duff. Not only were they note for note perfect, but they'd still look cool. Um, but Axl Rose, man, he's 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 you know whoa. But I had a mate that went to see him at, shout out Shannon, uh, went to see him at um, Hyde Park, and he said that he sounded great. No. So, and he, I think he, as people said that it was BBC that, that fucked up his, the, re, the recording of it. I don't know. I, I, I saw, I saw Gunners when it was just Axel and I can't remember, I think he had Dizzy Reed with him, like only one member of actual gunners mm. uh it was when bumblefoot was on guitar must have been early well, you 2000s, saw them whenever live. it was you saw them in person yeah i went and saw them yeah, yeah. live yeah, yeah. and that was one of those nights where we were kept waiting like he was an hour and a half late or something 
And it was just, the whole experience was shit because it wasn't the actual band. And then I got to see them, oh God, like uh, eight or nine years ago, whatever, whenever it was they were last in Australia, at least that time. Because I think they've been back. But it was just, it was just a snooze fest because it was like an agreement they made that uh, Axel said he wants to do some Chinese democracy songs. And so then uh, Duff and Slash said, we'll do, the, we'll do that if we can do extended solos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the Glastonbury gig, they played Slither. Oh, by, um, yeah. Velvet Revolver. And I was yeah. like, you can't fucking sing this, Axel. And he couldn't sing it. But it got to patience. And I was like, uh, me, and, me and Mrs. Brown were sat on the sofa and we were like, oh, cringing. And he actually did a, an, an okay job of patience. That was like the only song in the set that he pulled off. So I saw Guns N' Roses in 1992 at Wembley Stadium. That's the time to see by them. by Faith No More. That would have been Sound great. Gang. It was great. Yeah, Use Your Illusion listen. 2 is one of probably my favourite. I mean, Appetite's the standard, but I love Use Your Illusion. I'm a big Gunners Yeah, fan. I prefer 2 love to 1. love Gunners. Definitely. The thing is, with Use Your Illusions, I always thought if they picked the best songs of each, they could have had one great album instead of two okay albums with some great moments. Yeah. Look, I'm sure major Gunners fans would disagree, but yeah, I always felt that way. They both. Use Your Illusion 2 had some solid songs on it, though. I played Mrs. Brown. Uh, my Is it My World or Your World? Uh, my Welcome World, yeah. Welcome to My World! That yeah. one. And, it, and it's like a drum machine in the background, and she was just shocked. She couldn't believe that was actually Guns N' Roses. Oh, yeah. Good little closer. Uh, no, it's not. It's terrible. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, should we apologise? Uh, look, I need to know what I'm apologising for. When this episode goes live, it'll probably be like two months since we've uh, recorded. Mm-hmm. I've been very busy. Well, as 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 have I. I think we, we've been messaging for the last month trying to tee something up and it's just uh, mm. another week goes by, another week goes by. But we're here. You know what? We had a heat wave and then it got cooler. We had a lot of rain and now we're recording. The heat wave's back again. Oh, great. So you're going to be talking about yourself stripping off throughout the episode. <sighs> well, I... I'm on camera these days, aren't I? So, are you wearing a singlet? I, th- I feel like I saw you saw you in a blue wife beater. Can we still say wife yeah, beater? Yeah, I'm got, sure that's politically it's correct. Beater, it's fine. It's got um, palm trees on it. You can't quite see because it's quite faded. Right, housekeeping. Okay. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Um, so I'm going to start off with something quite. Nice. Okay. Quite, quite sexy. Um, mm. So in last episode, or the episode before, when we were talking about... It's the episode before, we talked about Epic. And we were talking about whether Les Claypool from Primus did the... Earth ship. What is mm. it? He oh, did yeah, those yeah, yeah. on Epic. And Mike Boarding got back to me about it. Hello! Oh. <laughs> that's what, that's it. it says hello with like four O's. So that's what I'm imagining Mike mm-hmm. Boarding was trying to get across with that must have been in conventional 4-4 time Mm, yeah good uh my first impulse is that we did gang vocals matt's words for surprise and also for epic so this falls into this episode makes sense perfectly well tied in i do know that les and also larry were around at the time so i don't think it's too far fetched that one or both gathered around the mic with us and yelled but if matt and billy aren't sure of that I would think that one of them would remember. Who knows? I lean towards yes, but maybe just not 100% sure of it. So we still haven't got an answer. Thanks, 
Mike. All right, one of the three night. One of the th- fuck. One of the three nights. <laughs> three nights. <laughs> Is that a new thing? My shoes. Is that a new thing? The three yeah. nights. So yeah. Lancelot, Sir Mixalot, and Sir Paul McCartney. I guess we'll never know. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally surprised none of them are going to remember. Yeah. Do you, do, I mean, we're talking a, a, a long time ago. Do, do you remember things from your recording sessions over 20 years ago? I definitely remember if another band were in there recording mm. vocals with us. I definitely remember that. Mm. Oh, no. My first band did a recording in 2000, and we had some girls come into the room. We um, mm, there, we had a we had a song do a little bit of a pause, and we oh. wanted there to be uh, a bit God, of a so fucking tacky ah. with exactly that exactly. <laughs> so we got these the two these two girls which who were girlfriends of one of the other bands were floating around to the rehearsal studio, which is where we were recording, and um, yeah, these girls came in and just did some uh, just did some moans and sighs for us so that we could put them in the song. That's nice. And I remember their names were Brooke and Kelly. I remember when I recorded a demo with Happy as Fish, and we're talking about 1998, that a guy came in and played trumpet on one of his tracks. He did a bit of a trumpet solo. He was called Malcolm Strachan, and he now is the trumpet player for Jamiroquai. No shit, that's cool. There you go. I don't know where Brooke and Kelly are now. Well, uh, in my housekeeping, I've got I've got a housekeeping that I didn't follow through on. But all I can say is that uh, last episode I said something about confabulation, and then I said there's another word for that when you create a false memory. Uh, so, I, what I can say is that the term confabulation came from. Did you know? Did, I'll tell you something. Did you know? Did you know I studied uh, hypnotherapy? Therapy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I got a diploma in hypnotherapy about. No, I didn't know. 15 years ago or so, I thought I wanted to uh, hypnotize people to quit smoking and lose weight and uh, set goals. Can you do it then? I I could. I I could. I'm very not rehearsed. You know, there's... there's, Can you hypnotize me now? Over over Skype, could you hypnotize me? Yeah, sure. Okay, so if you want to... Let's go for it. Okay, just (laughs) sit back in your chair. Right, I just want you to sit back in your chair just just... Just become comfortable and just uh, just take yep. a moment to, to feel, do just essentially do a little scan throughout your body and just resting your feet comfortably on the floor and just sitting with your back comfortably in the chair, your arms resting, mm-hmm. and just yep. tuning into your breath now, Jim, and uh, just uh, paying attention to your your eyelids and just, they may just gently... <laughs> It's just working. All right. And just as you just follow, follow your breath. That's it. And as it slowly goes in, you may notice that the exhales just slightly slower than the inhales. And just breathing comfortably and easily now. Your favourite thing are the three mics. There's this huge stigma around hypnosis and people are scared of it because they're like, oh, you're going to make me quack like a duck and behave like a chicken and think I'm a fish. And it's like, 
it's only when you're actually enrolled in the process. You can't get hypnosis to do anything you don't want it to do. So when people show up with the intention of having it do... Anyway, confabulation is something that I read about that I was sort of... uh, That the power of suggestion can form this thing called confabulation. I'm going to make this section far too long. Uh, Just the implication, you know... If you're taking someone back to a memory, no, it's we're not doing this anymore. If oh, you take not. someone, Sorry. no, I'm just, I'm just boring. I'm just boring you. I was, putting I you was to really sleep anyway. relaxed and comfortable. Ed. <laughs> but if you if you take, someone are you supposed through, to like? You're back in the room. Oh, and now just becoming aware of your feet on the floor, and maybe just give you give your legs a little bit of a little bit of a wriggle. Notice your eyelids are becoming lighter again, or the, whatever. The thing, the, the thing is that when you you can take people back through sort of memory stuff, and uh, there's this there's this issue called confabulation that if you take someone back to and you know maybe exploring traumas and things, and then just to say you know how old are you, where are you, and they're like, I'm in a room, I'm five years old, and they say is anyone there? Even just the the question or the implication of is someone there can create this uh, this term of confabulation of someone uh, designing a memory. And people, I'm still making you sleepy. It's hilarious. Anyway, it was in uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. He used a different word and I only have it on audiobook and I haven't re-listened to the audiobook from also about 10 years ago, uh, even though it came out in 2016. So it must have been around then. Anyway. So I haven't found out the word. So if anyone has listened or read uh, Subtle Art and Not Giving a Fuck, please write in and tell me what the other word is for when you create a memory or remember something differently because it's convenient to you. All right. And he's dozed off again. Dragged that out. I think you're really good at, at, at hypnotherapy. <laughs> Dude, I, I used Everybody to Everybody listening to this episode so far will also be asleep. Zoning out. <laughs> uh, as soon as I started doing the voice, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so long but you know it's funny i i got right i got into it got right to the end and i had to do a few case studies and i had this guy that wanted to said he wanted to quit smoking so on his second session we did you know we did we went through all the motions and did a, an hour session went into hypnosis stuff about not smoking anymore uh and then we walked to the train station together and he lights up a cigarette on the walk to the station <laughs> I'm like fuck you dude like, at least just have some, like, even if you still want one, like, just fucking wait until... At, le- at least, cor- yeah, at least wait. Wait until you said goodbye. He just yeah. sparks up. And that that was actually the moment I'm like, I, I can't do this. I, I have no interest in working with people. <laughs> fucking knob. What's his, did, can I, you remember his name? Yeah, Nick. Well, Nick, if you're listening, <laughs> we'd love to have you on the show. Oh, well, before we move on, uh, didn't someone write in... Faith No More followers, they made a comment. Someone asked oh, yeah, a question yeah. about Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the yeah, podcast. So on Faith No More followers Facebook group, Pete Krigler, love to have you in the show, Pete. Oh, yeah, uh, sure, Pete. Wrote a um, question about podcast croissant. Why <laughs> is each episode three to four hours long? Do they just not edit anything? How much of the time is actually about Faith No More? I'm willing to give it a shot, but I'd generally like my podcast to be about an hour or so. We had some great comments on it. I like the the first comment just goes, true. 
<laughs> Mike Knapp said it's seventy five percent F and M content. Honestly, it's a pretty good show. Oh, thanks, Mike. If they announced the show was going to be about agriculture, I'd probably still listen. Oh, thanks, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Mike. And funnily enough, we've decided that from now on, Podcast Croissant is is going to be about agriculture. We need to do an agriculture section with a jingle yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We got some really nice comments from people that contribute towards the show, as in uh, Louis um, and Doug and Andrew Bowie, 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 Bowie. And Rod, Rod Creepy Rodrigo, he got Aww. a nice comment on there legend oh here we go the three hours on midlife crisis is where i tuned out plus there's only so much of one shouting and the other getting increasingly drunk that i could listen to perhaps it's improved since then (laughs) (laughs) someone's put if you enjoy all their fooling around it's okay i guess Oh, this one here, look. Brian Wills says, It's just okay. Jimmy's obnoxious and pretty grating for the most part. <laughs> I feel like it could be done far better in the right hands. Ah, oh. In the raw. Gnarly. And then we've got some guy whose name's in uh, Russian, I think. This is my only podcast subscription. These episodes should be at least five or six hours each, and I would still love it. Sean McCullen, best podcast ever. Steve Erickson, it's worth the long run time. Uh, Thomas Kramer, if you are a fan of Faith No More, it's well worth your time. Craig Rose, the show's fantastic. They both do their homework and do a great job of breaking down the songs. As a rabid Faith No More fan, I am grateful for it. So, mostly good comments. I'm going to be I'm gonna be honest, I miss getting progressively drunk through the episodes. Critics are right, you know. I am grating, I am obnoxious so yeah like it yeah i'd agree with that (laughs) all right emails yeah emails it's your emails it's your emails it's your emails so as we get into emails just in acknowledgement of the 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 comments that we received uh, regarding the podcast it is important to point out that in the show notes i always put the start time of when we actually get to the topic. Uh, but I will say, before we read all these, because we have quite a few emails, I haven't read how long they are, uh, but they all look topical. They're all about surprise you're dead, or most of them. Good. So that's good. Uh, first email f- uh, is not on topic. It's from Little Creepy Rodrigo, so we've got a nice jingle to play for you. Right, okay. Um, the title subject is Falling to Pieces hyphen Skid Row. Oh. Hey guys, do any of you know what was, if it was, happening between Patton and Sebastian Bach in 1992? On Skid Row's video clip for Psychotherapy, you can see from 1 minute 13 a character dressed as Mike Patton like he was dressed in the Falling to Pieces video. And Sebastian Bach makes fun of him and punches him. What? Hang on, I'm clicking on it. I can't remember this. Something about this. Yeah. Oh, holy moly. That is absolutely a nod to Patton. He throws food at him. That is That is undoubtedly, absolutely a Patton nod. Skid Row psychotherapy music video, one minute and thirteen seconds. There's no way that's not someone dressing up as Patton. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not a, clo- it totally it's not a Clockwork it? Orange. Yeah, He's got the totally baseball is. bat and everything. So he throws food at him. 
Oh, and it says midlife crisis as well in the um, newspaper clippings. Do you know what? I had heard a little bit about this, but I've never actually watched it. Well, there you go. Sebastian back proving what we already knew, that he's a massive dick. Anyway, Rodrigo goes on. In November 1992, at the Germany gig in Unterfrankenhiller in Aschenburg, at the end of RV, Patton says... I will tell you what my dad told me. Next time, go and see Skid Row. Hmm, okay. I'm just bringing this up because that character is dressed as Fallen to Pieces Mike Patton. Hmm. About the music, though. I was in Rio 2009 when they played it for the... Oh, he's talking about Fallen to Pieces. You've you've said your piece, Creeper Rodrigo. Right, okay. Thanks, Rodrigo. Nice one. Oh, because he said Falling to Pieces. I was in Rio 2009 when they played it for the first time during the reunion shows. Patton didn't know the lyrics. Put the mic in front of Mike Borden to sing. That was funny. I haven't seen that footage. Uh, I remember too uh, the 1990 uh, performance on Triple J, Faith No More, uh, going into the real thing. So, you know, 1990s, two years before this music video, Mike Patton says, I wrote this song in my Corvette after my girlfriend dumped me for Sebastian Buck. Mm. So there must have been some little thing is that they, there's all that cheeky stuff but it, you know, to put him in a music video like that there must have been some little beef yeah yeah, yeah. agreed didn't know about that that's fun uh matthew Revis, thank you for giving me this one uh matthew Revis writes it uh, that name's familiar does, Ma- does matthew Revis write on the um on facebook or something maybe subject is new write in long time listener Ahoy, Mike and Jim. Ahoy, Marty. I am Sir Matt Revis of the United States of the Americas. I've listened to the podcast since the moment Jim joined the podcast, but never wrote in. I always love hearing the tales of David Bowie, 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 and others such as Florida man Ben Brown. But I thought I'd finally write in. I know the show topic is on from out of nowhere, but I... Hang on a second... Did this get stuck in your outbox or something? I know the show topic is on from out of nowhere, but I have a few things, few cool things to talk about as an FNM listener. That's okay. We'll read it. He's a new writer. Anyway. I'm going to read it anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, read it. yeah. You always have to do a first time writer in a row. Yeah. Uh, first off, I might be wrong, but I believe I'm the youngest person to write in on the podcast or at least hear it. I was 18 when I started listening and now I'm 20 going on 21 in a few months. Uh, I think we've got uh, Oscar Sintas. Yeah, he's uh, 16, isn't he? Known young. Yeah, he's a bit younger. Uh, I first heard Faith No More after my friend exposed me to Mr. Bungle. As a musician looking for brand new music, this obviously enlightened me. I listened to all albums, demos, a bunch of live recordings, and started looking into every band member's background. Funny enough, Mike Patton was the last person I looked into. Being a bass player myself and falling in love with Dunn. But as soon as I took a glimpse at Mike Patton and Faith No More, I was a changed man. I went from an 18-year-old music dweeb to a grown-ass man. Just kidding, but still Faith No More changed my life. In one day, I sat down and listened to We Care A Lot all the way to Sol Invictus. Never has a band mesmerized me or took complete control over my life. I'm constantly filled with rage, knowing I'll never have the chance to see them in their peak, in their prime, in their element. Luckily, this podcast has been curing that and gives me all this excitement about the band. And yes, I read the wonderful book, Small Victories by Adrian Hart. I need to read that again. Secondly, I have come to the conclusion that Faith No More Chuck and Patton Era are two different bands. You're right. I can't compare 
Yeah. I can't compare not only Mike and Chuck, but the band as a whole before and after Mike joined. Mike's influence on Faith No More was completely different than Chuck's, and regardless of how good or bad it might be, they both created a special environment. That being said, my favourite Faith No More album is Introduce Yourself. Ah! Mm. This... This, to me, is the band pushing themselves to enter their more serious and mainstream phase, and without this album, a lot of where Faith No More would go would be different. As much as Mike has so much greatness to him and in Faith No More, this specific era with Chuck shows the levels of commitment the band would take to get where they needed to go. Last, since I had no info on From Out of Nowhere, here's a funny story about me seeing Bungle for the first time. I'm an LA kid, so when I saw them come to the Palladium, I flipped out. I got my tickets and I was pretty close to the front. The show was amazing. Spotlights and Melvins really kicked it off. But when Bungle was playing, when they finished a racist, Patton took a few seconds to let everyone know he has allergies and wants to know who gave it to him. I so graciously yelled out, spit in my mouth. And before they started the next song, spreading the thighs of death, you can actually see Mike look at Trey, laugh, then start the song. If you look at footage of the concert, it is hard to tell, but you can definitely hear it if you listen close enough. Well, that's it. I'm going to use this segment of the email to promote my music. Shout out to, and um, yeah, cheers, Matt Rear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shout out to two bands, Covalent and The Sense. Covalent with a K, K-O-V-A-L-E-N-T, and The Sense, but it's Sense, S-E-N-C-E. They're on Instagram and on all platforms. Thanks, Mike and Jim. You're both wonderful duo for a podcast, and please keep more coming. We need more croissants. Cheers, Matt Reavis. Well, a man well-versed for his years. Talking absolute perfection there. Agreed with everything he said. Well done, mate. Well done. 20 years old. I love a bit of acknowledgement for Chuck. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. And he's, yeah. The little, yeah. his little um, paragraph where he talks about Chuck and uh, Era and Patton Era being like two different bands. Totally agree with that. Well done, mate. Well done. And look, he's, he's 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 asked he's asked people to reach out. He's on Instagram at mattrevis.official. R-I-V-A-S for Revis, mattrevis.official. Everybody go follow Matt on Instagram. Thanks, Matt. Thanks Best for Matt. writing in. Yeah. Woo! And Tanis Zanov. Don't you call himself somewhere else? Zan Zinaf, that's it. I always imagine that Antanas is is in um that computer game Street Fighter. You know, the big guy with the uh, Moican and the beard. What was he called? Zang- Zangief, that's it. Zangief. There you go. Now I'm looking up Street Fighter characters just so I know what you're talk- talking about. Yeah, I always, I always imagine that Antanos, Antanus is a bit, looks a bit like Zangief from Street Why, Fighter. You're throwing, you're throwing in an extra N there. Why are you saying Antanus? It's Antanus. 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 I prefer Antanus. Okay, well, if you want right, anyway. reception. Sure. Hello, pastry variants. Oh, yeah, that's fun. I like that. That's good. Oh, I'm going to miss the subject. subject. Uh... No. Surprise, it's a subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it's surprise, you're dead time, right? I'm looking forward to seeing you pull a three hour episode about a two minute song. Topical. <laughs> Thank you for the mail of the episode acknowledgement. It was indeed just and well-deserved. If I weren't as modest as I am, I would have bragged about it and would have demanded a jingle of my own. Oh. No more jingles. And uh, We're not doing jingles anymore. 
Is that is that a thing in the past? Yeah, but I kind of like. I'm thinking now that we do Zangief. We do like the the theme from Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like it's looking good. Anyway, show topic. I love that song. No, he's talking about. Oh. Yeah, he's talking about surprise. He's talking about surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Not just because it's one of the very few of Jim's. Not just because it has great guitar riffs, excellent vocals, and tight structure. That's all there. On the other hand, it's not their best either. However, I love it so much as it played a pivotal, 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 pivotal role in me becoming a Faith No More fan for life. Oh. I was a metalhead listening to a pretty heavy stuff back then. It must have been around 1992 and my cousin, a regular on this award-dreaming podcast, pardon, I meant winning, handed me a cassette. Is he? Is his cousin on here? I think he's mentioned his cousin oh. before. Anyway, handed me a cassette, the real thing, with high appraisal. Hungry for new music and without much prejudice, I gave it a listen. I did like it at first, but it was still mixed feelings. There was some quite quirky, funky, sleazy stuff, which wasn't enough metal for my taste. It was Surprise You're Dead that made it stick for me. It was like an anchor to my metal present, a bridging device that kept my interest. So I listened to the album for a second time, then a third, then again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. There was no going back after this. Angel Dust was out around that time. And when I heard it, that was just perfect. Faith No More had established themselves as my absolute favourite band. I don't have to tell you that just like you two, I started obsessing with pattern. Shit. And all that goes... I started obsessing with pattern. Shit. And all that goes together with him. I'm doing a really bad job of reading emails tonight. So, that was a story for you. Well, thanks, Atanas. Zangief. Uh, Back to the song. What I also like about it is where it sits on the album. Just after the big hits, it really shakes the experience for the listener. This sudden, harsh and heavy burst fantastically juxtaposes with the finesse of Zombie Eaters that is to come afterwards. Brilliant work on putting the album together. Would be interesting to find out from you if the band or Matt had a say in the song's arrangement. Probably it was combined effort. What do you think? Hmm. Other music. He's put. He's put. I like how he's put little headings for us. Yeah, I'd, I'd never thought about the actual arrangement of the songs on the album and the track listing, the order. I'd never stopped to think about why they put the songs in the order they did. And oh, I have. Huh. Anyway, I think you good. And he makes a good point. Atanas makes a good point. Um, mm, mm. Other music. In the last episode, you spoke about Australian bands in the, new, in the new music section. So I thought of finally asking Mike if he knows my favourite Australian band. T-M-O-G. The Mark of Cain. They're from Adelaide. Excellent band. And although they don't have a new album, I'd highly recommend that listeners check them out. So have you heard I've, of them? Yep. I've actually saw, I saw them live in around 2001 at the Annandale Hotel. They are very similar stylistically to Helmet, and they used to actually have uh, John Stanier on drums Ooh. for the first however many albums. So very Helmet sounding and the Helmet drummer. Obviously drummer of Tomahawk. Yeah. He, he ends his wonderfully constructed email with Love Zinaf. Don't bother with my name. Stick to this shorter version. We, I'm, I'm going to call you Zang, Zangief from now on. P.S. Dear Mr. John, my admirations for you, notwithstanding, what was that Russian accent while reading my Facebook comment all about? Though I am very grateful you read it. <laughs> <laughs> 
we we can't explain what Mr. John does. Oh, I struggle with that email. I struggle. It's been a long time since I've had to read that many words all at once. Yeah. Yeah. All right. David Ball jingle. David Ball. Such a beautiful soul. Not a fucking asshole. and away from coal I eat cereal from a bowl Different spelling to David Bowl Track number four Subject Track number four Related email On topic Dearest Triple M Past, present, future Mike Quadruple J and octahedral Mr. John. You're thankfully not dead. I took it to heart when you told us to email now, and I've just finished enjoying the From Out of Nowhere episode. Congrats. Uh, really? Should it be Falling to Pieces episode? Hmm. Uh, f- congrats on making compelling content when given very, very little to work with. Now let us never mention that song again. As for Surprise You're Dead, my early impression of the piece was how aggressive, metal, brutal it was. I was just a young, impressionable preteen when I first heard the song, and it was, up to that point in time, the most extremely aggressive, thrashy music I had consumed. Yeah, it was the same deal for me. I hadn't yet become a member of the Metallica cult, so this was the most sinister thing I had heard. Of course, if I want to shit myself in fear based solely on musical cues these days, I'll play King Crimson's Lark's Tongues in Aspic Record. King, Crim- King Crimson's Lark's Tongues in Aspic. I don't know that. Oh. No, me neither. Seriously, that music makes Slayer sound like Right Said Fred. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's no wrong with Right Said Fred. Yeah, but I didn't know uh, King Crimson were that heavy. Well, mm. David Ball knows more than us, so. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably listen to more Slayer if they sound like Right Said Fred. Uh, the devil himself is scared of Robert Fripp, but I digress. I like how much Jim Martin seems to relish in his role as guitar hero in this song. Faith No More's usual template of drums, bass, keys, everything else was subverted and you get to hear a true dirty guitar singer get his inner Hetfield on. Lyrically, this song is beyond disturbing. The thoughts of a murderer as he perpet- the thoughts of a murderer as he perpetuates his crimes and indeed taunts his victims while harming them. Jesus and my Sunday school teacher at that time certainly wouldn't approve of the messaging. It seems to be another one of Mike's character pieces and what a cracked character that was slash is. It comes off a little tongue in cheek as if they were taking the piss out of heavy music in uh, as if they were taking the piss out of heavy metal in general. Hey look, a song about murdering someone. Aren't we metal? This song doesn't move my needle much. Perhaps I listen to it ever so slightly more often than falling to pieces, but only slightly. Mike, I hope you enjoy turning your amp up to 11 and demonstrating the riffage to all of us. Apologies for the double emailing on the last episode. It shan't happen again. David Ball. I didn't mind. I don't mind getting two emails from David. As he sent us another one for this episode. No. No. Well, that one was on topic. We're doing good. Right, Matty Hinchcliffe's back. Matty ain't written in in a while. Hey, Matty. He's hey. Uh, on topic. Surprise, you're dead. <laughs> hey! How's it going, fellas? Just listen to the Fall Into Pieces episode. Excellent stuff, as usual. I personally love that song and video. 
I also agree with you, Jim, about the funk metal thing. That got me into so many new bands. Well, it did. Reminiscing about watching Big House Burning Mind Funk video on Raw Power. Good times. And Censor. What a band they were. I think I must have mentioned Mind Funk and Censor in the last episode. Did mm. I? You can't even remember, uh, Yes, when you were mentioning funk metal bands. Okay. On to Surprise You're Dead. I love this song. So brutal and out of character with the rest of the album to me. I got into Faith No More through hearing Edge of the World on a flexi-disc from Raw magazine. Yep, yep, I've got that. And soon graduated onto the real thing and discovered how these guys were masters of the about turn. Just what the 14-year-old me was looking for. Standouts for me are Jim's chugging riffs, which are so thrashy and metallic-like, yet maintain a tone that sets them apart from everything else. Patton's vocals, going from spitting out rappy verses to lung-bursting screams, growls and laughter in the choruses. It sounds like he's so out of breath and wheezy, but to me, that just adds to the energy of the song. I love the way the song seems to be fighting to resolve itself in the breakdowns. It feels like it's twisting or thrashing around to find a way out. At least it does to me. I also love its position on the album. Another one who loves its position on the album. Yeah. As the song spasms and collapses in on itself. My favourite live version is Download 2009, when Patton sings the first verse with that crescendo. Anyway, that's how it is for me. Non-FNM related. Looking forward to seeing Pulsifer... At Manchester Academy. Pussifer. Pussifer, yeah. That's that guy from Tools Band. Yeah. Yeah. At Manchester Academy tomorrow night, June 13th. What do you guys reckon to them? Take it easy, Matty Hinchcliffe. I have not heard anything by him. That's my answer. They have a song, I think it's called... Oh, no, they've got an EP or something called V is for Vagina. Uh, There was a song, Vagina Mine or something? I remember, there was one song that I got really into. I quite like. Uh, there's some really. Are all their songs about vaginas. They just got really immature sort of content going on with their music, but then also just quite. They're they're a hard band to sort of understand what they're doing because sometimes it's quite serious and then sometimes it's very silly. Mm. Uh, I can this one particular song just so that I can say what what do I think of them? I liked the song that was called. No, I can't find it. I think yeah, vagina mine. I think it was. Yeah, and it was on the V is for Vagina album. It's an album. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I've never been able to quite get it. It's like they're serious, but they're not serious. But they they definitely, they're experimental. They're weird. They're okay. a whole mixture of things. Just never really, I don't know, never really took for me. Isn't Miller, what's her face, Miller Jovovich? Is that her name? From Fifth Element? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, yeah what about I think it? she's a member. She's involved with them. I'm going to be honest with you. I've not been listening for the last three minutes, so I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Oh, okay. I don't know. I just zoned out there completely. Yeah, it must be that hip- hypnotizing that you uh, you tried earlier. <laughs> uh, you may just find that you're becoming more and more agreeable throughout the episode. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah, she's been involved. Guest musicians. Oh, she was a guest musician. They've got had lots of guest musicians. I'm not going to read them all. Everyone can Google. Pussifer if they want to. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, Matty Hinchcliffe. Always nice to hear from you. Oh, another jingle. It's Ben Brown. Ben Brown is likely no relation to James Brown, but possibly related to Jim Brown. Not me. Could also be related to Charlie Brown, but you can't be related to a cartoon character, silly. Ben Brown. He's Florida Man, Ben Brown. Subject. Surprise. This song still rocks. 
Hello, croissanters, or I'll say hello, croissanters. Croissanters. Back at the time of release and in the 90s, this song was always the most boring one to me of all the tracks. But since Patton is singing it more for real instead of that nasalized voice that is like a character voice, it actually now tends to hold up better than some of the others. I haven't written in as much since The Real Thing is my least favourite Faith No More album, but I still consider it excellent. I look forward to hearing you all talk about all the iterations of this song in Proto Faith No More, since they were using this title with some of the pre-Chuck singers, but then the music came along with Jim Martin later, since he wrote it in the 70s, supposedly. I wonder why he waited until the third album to record it. Maybe waiting for a singer that could actually pull off what his vision was. That was hard to read. Uh, I just want to add a comment that back on the reunion tour in Brazil, when the band played Falling to Pieces as a goof, I was very impressed that John even knew how to play the song. Did he really take the time to learn every single Faith No More song in case it was played? I would have bet nearly everything on the fact that they would never play it again, just as Bill had promised. I was equally impressed that when Mike Patton forgot some words and put the microphone in Mike Borden's face while drumming, Ah, that's what Rodrigo was talking about before. He knew the right words at that point in the song, even though it had been all that time. I do think that Falling to Pieces ranked 30th in a Faith No More poll reflects that many people taking that poll were probably not hardcore fans. As the original email writer that you all saw fit to bestow a jingle upon, I have an idea. How about you do a favorite songs poll for your audience that has achieved jingle status? That could yield some interesting results. Ben Brown. There's only like seven people that we've written a jingle for yeah and it would require some work um yeah, too much work admin, too much work yeah. Oh, yeah next email um thanks ben next email thanks, ben. uh subject surprise etc see this person gonna even be bothered writing anything surprise etc uh amelia hello mike hello jim just not start off well i don't have much to say about this episode's topic Love, Amelia. Right, okay, thanks, Amelia. <laughs> now I'm only joking. It's a great, vibrant song. I love Jim's guitar. Is Amelia renewing a writer in her? And she's not even... No, she, she's written a few times now. Oh, sorry. She was a first-timer a few episodes ago. All right. I love Jim's yeah. guitar and Patton's superb delivery. That evil laugh. Lyrics are dark, describing, I think, what the hell's supposed to be like, endless torment and all that jazz. But they're really great to sing along. The music video is fun. Mike Borden waving his axe is hilarious. Did they really kill that chicken? And why Patton has a hoodie wrapped around his beautiful head? He has got a beautiful head. On another note, I wanted to use this opportunity to say a big thank you to Mr. Andrew Bowie for his Faith No More gig database. As a new fan, this site became my necessary source to all that vast content of live performances. I have been listening or watching every available concert from each Faith No More tour in chronological order, and I can't tell you how much fun I have. That concert in Stockholm from April 1997 is one of the best. Patton's voice is so strong here, and the performance of Paths of Glory is outstanding. Please forgive my fangirling. It's all right. Mike's a fangirl too. Mm. That would be Mm -hmm. all from me now. Bye. Till next time. Amelia. P.S. I smiled when you mentioned in previous episode Mr. Bill Gould's adorable skip. Just like a happy little girl. <laughs> uh, Amelia was the one that wrote saying it was a sad day a few episodes ago because she had listened through all our podcasts. Oh, I've, I've slept since then. Oh, 
we've all slept. She she ain't got a a jazz band name, so she's not going to get that much attention. Oh, I keep zoning out tonight. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's what time is it? It's after eleven, isn't it? Yeah, it's late. Oh, it's another jingle. It's your uh, the, your your, your favourite, Pete Mahoney. Oh shit. Mahoney. It's gotta be Mahoney. The subject is surprise you're dead. <laughs> Good I've got a feeling this will be uh, yeah. topical. Yep. Hi, Jim Mike John. Sorry for the last email. Completely off topic and irrelevant. After hearing you read it out, I was embarrassed and angry with myself. Well, you should be, Pete Mahoney. You should be incredibly <laughs> embarrassed and angry with yourself. We were embarrassed for you and angry. Uh, this is more in keeping with the show topic and revisiting my previous email where I s- said I hear Mike saying, Surprise, your dad. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, soon, two, two months Surprise, you're dead, mate, ah. by sticking your finger up his ass. That was a Steve Owen reference, right? South Park? I'll stick know. my thumb up his ass. Oh, it's also to highlight, he'll soon be one because this Sunday, 18th of June, will be Father's Day here in Ireland. Yeah, we're a bit slow on these emails. 18th of June. Jeez. Mm. God, that's like a month ago nearly. This Sunday, 18th of June, will be Father's Day here in Ireland, so surprise your dad. Uh, three, because this song is my favourite on the album and I cannot tell you why. Uh, it's brisk to the point, louder and harder, and the rest of the album sticks out as a result. Being a track credited to Jim and Mike P., the former hanging his love of heavier arrangements right out there and the latter flexing his vocal range beyond the nasal tones of the first three tracks on the album. It's a hot, violent, primal, belching breath of fresh air. The sonic onslaught begins with what I think of as an alarm... Uh, the sonic onslaught begins with, with what I think of as an alarm bell being rung, but it's too late. The bass, drums and guitar don't just kick in. They smash down the front gates and storm out ear holes with wave after rampaging wave of crashing, thrashing sound. Being a drummer, I'm in awe of the raw aggression that Mike Borden brings to the song while also sitting so tight in the pocket with Bill and Jim. The odd timing signature has intrigued me forever. Yeah, that's something I'll get to in this episode. It is. Uh, It works so well. Moving from the pounding staccato beats of the intro into his three-beat groove until 30, 38 seconds in, where it turns into a standard four-beat until the end of the first minute. I love all the tempo changes. I think I read that Matt Wallace got a pain in his hole trying to sync it all up properly, but I think he did a better job of it. Then at one thirty, you've got a car chase between Mike B and Bill before a 10-car pile-up at the intersection of 150 for 10 seconds where it downshifts back to the three-beat groove and sets off again. Finally, Mike Patton rages on this track. The delivery sounds carnivorous, which is apt given the lyrics seem to be related to vampirism. I just haven't... I just really need to think more about these lyrics. The rage rap pieces were, to my teen self in the 90s, too fast to follow... But that didn't stop me learning and screaming them into the faces of my friends after I'd had a few. They'd scream along too. The song alone has given me decades of joy. As an aside, just after your podcast finished in my ears, my streaming provider automatically played the latest episode of the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast, where Glenn Howerton argued that Mike Patton is possibly the best vocalist in rock. Charlie Day put forth a suggestion that maybe Mr. Bungle are a better band than the Beatles. Glenn agreed. I would also tend to agree, but I am biased. As you were. 
Hightower slash Mahoney. I mean, Charlie Day was actually only joking when he said that Mr. Bungle were better than the Beatles, but Glenn Howerton totally was like, no, they actually are, though. So. Yeah, I saw that snippet. Is um, Glenn Howerton sort of known for constantly talking or loves to talk about Patton and Bungle? Yeah, he's a fan. He's a fan of Patton. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, next email is from Peter Walston. Have we heard from Peter before? Oh, I don't know. I don't think we have. I don't think we have. First time hearing Faith Lamar is his subject. Hi, boys. I just listened to Hi, episode number 44 of your excellent podcast. And I got a flashback when before. you talked about Faith Lamar being labeled <laughs> as a funk metal band. My first Faith Lamar experience came in 1991 via the heavy dancing compilation album that I picked up in my hometown, Stockholm. Sweden. I didn't have MTV when I was really into Dan Reed Network, Extreme, Electric Boys in those days. Track number three was Epic. And that song opened up the wild and wonderful world of Fate No More for me. All the best, Peter from Toronto. Cheers, Peter. Why the voice? I don't know. You made that hard to follow. I'm, I'm sorry, Peter. Uh, Peter's written a few times before. As he? Yeah, he wrote about Faith No More and the Jesus Jones back on uh, yep, he did. episode 34. And uh, also wrote way back around uh, episode 9, nine or 10. <laughs> Cheers, Peter. Oh, thanks, Peter. Uh, Mark Caruso. Hang on. Did we have one from Mark Caruso before? Or am I just getting mixed up? Not in this. I need to file these emails. Mm. I usually do. I haven't. Uh, Mark Caruso. Mm-hmm. Subject, surprise you're dead. Mm-hmm. Hello, Mike, Jim and John. Hey, good order. Surprise You're Dead is such a great song. I started listening to Faith No More thanks to my sister. I heard her listening to the love real to thing album the show, and surprise Mark's came sister. on it. Love to have you on the show. Uh, I heard her listening to the real thing album and surprise came on. I was hooked. It's such a great song. When I listened to the rest of the album, I was so pumped. What do you guys think of the chances of a tour someday? Let's hope. Great job on the podcast. I look forward to all of the episodes. Thanks, Mark Caruso. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Oh, that's my favourite email so far, just for being succinct and to the point and for Mark's sister. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right, next uh, email is titled Surprise, and it's from Ivan Batchvarov. We've got a jingle oh, another for jingle. Ivan, haven't we? Yep. Yeah. His name is Batchvarov, Ivan. He writes into his podcast, Ivan. Hello, guys. I hope this email is not arriving too late. The for the inclusion. What? I've set the subject. Oh, sorry. I hope this email is not arriving too late for the inclusion in your surprise your dead episode. When did he send it? Three days ago. So he was cutting it fine because we could have recorded like a month ago. In there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's delighted. on my mind related to this song harkens back to the early noughties. It's, that's how you say that, isn't it? Ooze. Ooze. Yeah. yeah. Um, do any of you remember that time that Jim Martin had his own website? This was a few years after he was done with Milk and Blood. I don't remember him having his own website, do you? No. No. The website was an amateurish affair, and it was dedicated to his early demo recordings. It was made clear that Jim administers it. He had put some text to provide context around several WAV file snippets that could be downloaded off the website. My recollection... Oh. Oh. Shit, right. Sorry, mate. I've just got to... Your kitten's back? Oh, don't edit any of this. 
Jim's kitten's gone missing. Just uh, if anyone around, just everyone, everyone. She's back. Oh, yay! His kitten's back. Yay! Sorry, mate. She's back. Been miss, been missing over twenty four hours. Oh, you sweet little thing. Oh, do you want to go? Do you want to go wake up the kids and tell them? No. Does the cat sleep in at night? Does the cat sleep inside at night time? Yeah, yeah. That's responsible cat ownership. Right, okay. No, I, can, get to. I can hear little meows now. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, oh, you were reading this one. No, was I reading You were reading this one. He had to put some text to provide context around the several WAV file snippets that could be downloaded off the website. My recollection is that he was friends with Cliff Burton in the early 80s when Cliff was still playing in trauma pre-Metallica days. Jim, Cliff and I think there was another guy. What, what's this? Is he part of the gang? was another guy whose name I can't recall used to go to some shack in the woods, get drunk and record their jams. Oh, yeah, I know this story. Yeah, I know all this. What was the guy's shack called? I can't remember. It's in that book that Adrian Hart wrote. I I clearly remember the early versions of Surprise You're Dead and Woodpeck from Mars on this website. Of course, a version of Surprise later appeared on Milk and Blood album, but that was an Mm -hmm. inferior version compared with the original, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. These early demos or jams Jim Martin was offering to sell as CDRs, and they were not cheap. This is long before stream was any kind of available. It was before YouTube. I remember... Can you hit cat? I remember (laughs) thinking about ordering them, but by the time I got around to it, his website was no longer functioning. Do you guys have copies of those recordings? They were drumless and sounded like the early VAT recordings of Faith the Mob, lots of reverb. I tried to scour the net, including web archives, but could not find anything. Hope you can use your network to uncover those jams and play some snippets for us in the episode. I've never heard these. No! I, oh. some, every now and again, something comes up in these conversations and it's like, do I actually remember or am I just confabulating uh, mm. some sort of memory? Because my brain's been filled with so much faith no, I don't I don't remember this I don't remember it, this well I mean at this point anyone anyone listening if you have these recordings from Jim Martin's website can you please share them with us because uh, I'd yep. love to yeah I'd love to share them yep right one last email alright thanks Ivan thanks Ivan you're a ledge oh another jingle to close out the emails it's Anna Maria Subject surprise you're dead. Hi, Jim and Mike and Mr. John. I'm impressed you managed to find the Love Is All cover of Epic. Great work and a great episode. Yay! Shovels and Rope with with Lyra Lynn have also covered Epic in an Americana style. You might know her from the sad bar in season two of True Detective. I only watched season one of True Detective. Yeah, I only watched a few episodes of that. Uh, I hope Mike liked Goodfellas. It's a true classic. It is. You wait and see. I still recall seeing Scarface, which Swedish censorship took a good few minutes from. 
Yeah. Martin Scorsese's Casino ended censorship in Swedish cinemas for adults at least. Yay. They were debating cutting several violent minutes, but eventually let the film go without anything removed due to its quality. Oh, Yay. Uh, surprise, you're dead is amazing. I look forward to hearing your insights about it. Best, Anna Maria. Yay. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Anna Maria. Hi, I'm Mr. John, and sometimes I make documentaries, and this is one now, uh, and it's about surprise, you're dead, which is the you're with an apostrophe, and the R-E, meaning you are, and not the you're that people on the internet use when they say that you're gay. Surprise, You're Dead is a song by Faith No More. It's a tribute to Kurt Cobian, lead singer of Nevada, who snuffed his lid, dying off of pellets at high velocity. During the making of the video for Surprise, You're Dead by the Faith No Mores, an old woman can be seen, followed around by singer Mike Platoon and his little camera, which was before camcorders were invented. I'm not sure what it is. You can write in and tell me if you like, but nicely. Anyway, he follows the old lady around and says hello to her, And the end result of his short film about following old ladies around and saying hello to them is a video on the video, Video Croissant, which is available on video in the 1990s. Other things are croissants and have been available since, but we can't think of any right now. As Mick Spittoon is following around the unfortunate old lady, it occurred to me I could make a documentary about her, and this is it now. Good thing you're here, isn't it? Are you happy? Hi, everyone. Normally, when Mr. John records his bits, we leave him to it and edit stuff later, like a special recipe. But our lawyers have advised us we need to cut or obfuscate some of his content. Because, surprise, he's gone too far. Here's an edited version of his documentary that we have agreed is safe for release. Or he's threatening to blow up the moon. Bond villain style. The old lady that Mark Spittoon is following around lives in a pineapple under the sea. She has friends, but doesn't socialise with them. Because some of them are... But this is by the by, because she's now internationally recognised as famous for being in the Surprise You're Dead video and the Video Croissant video video, which is available on video. So you could say she's something of a video celebrity of that era. However, resulting in 50,000 gallons of unreleased piss. Given her general appearance as that of an old woman, unless it's a disguise, she's probably snuffed her lid due to some high pellet velocity action as well. It can be dangerous being famous, which is why none of us here at Podcast Croissant have chosen to be that. No matter how many bands we're in, projects we have, sleeping with badgers, awards we win, or etc, etc, etc. Now, I'm a huge fan And that shouldn't come as much of a surprise to some of you. However, they're just monkeys. None of us have ever filmed a bunch of little monkeys scratching their balls or having a fight, for instance, while deep breathing. This would just be weird, but again, that can be found on Video Croissant as well. The monkeys aren't very famous, though. When's the last time you can think of famous monkeys? And don't say the monkeys from the 1960s TV show The Monkeys, which you can probably get on a video. Anyway... That's a short story that concludes all of our information available about old people that have been in death, 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 lunch, death, 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 death. You get the general idea. There was a whole lot of lunch. Faith No More videos that we know of. Next week, sunny side up, except it won't be next week, because when have we ever done things weekly? Let's be realistic. And we're doing the real thing run right now, so until we get to Sol Invictus, you're not going to find out about those lovely old gentlemen in the sunny side up video. So you just hold your horses. Hold them, but not like in the midlife crisis video, because that looks painful. (laughs) 
Show topic. Show topic. <laughs> show topic. Show topic. <laughs> show topic. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah, you've done you that the last few episodes now. You you make the what, show what, topic mixed a, it little up a little bit. Yeah, a little yeah. Yeah. little themed little theme. You did that was what falling to pieces last time. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Cool. Yep. yep. Good. Surprise Track four. Yay. Where's me dad? Where's me dad? Is that what he said? Surprise, Where's your dad? Surprise, surprise you're dead. Oh, surprise you're dead. Just, just, surprise you're dead. That's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Track four from The Real Thing at 2 minutes 27 seconds long. It's short, but it's not the shortest song. Do you know what the shortest song is? Introduce Yourself. Yeah. Uh, and Jim is also very short and also Get Out, another short song. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 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 Surprise You Dead came 24th out of 105 songs in the now infamous Faith No More followers' greatest song poll. The fifth highest song from The Real Thing. Fifth highest, okay. It was voted the second heaviest song by those thrash metal specialists, Metal Hammer, losing Mm -hmm. out to Jizzlobber. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Another gym song too. I've always said this, always said this, that when I die on my tombstone, I want written, you're perfect, yes, it's true, but without me, you're only you. And I want this song played at my funeral, definitely. I thought you wanted um, Just a Man. No. Surprise you did. Surprise you did. <laughs> it's dark. I've never been a fan of thrash metal. I've never really bothered with Slayer or early Metallica or Megadeth or Anthrax or anything like that. I mean, I like the odd song. Mm-hmm. Particularly by Metallica, the you know the late stuff. Yeah, but I do, I do appreciate the intri, intri. What is that? I do appreciate the intricacy. Is no, that's not a word, is it? Intricacy. Intri- yeah, intricacy. That is a word. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the skill of musicians to play, you know, so fast and lay down these riffs. But I prefer more more melody and space in my music. Sure. For that reason, Surprise Your Dead was never a favorite of mine. Do you remember that? There's that podcast. Worst of the best, where you pick an album you love, but you can drop one song from it, and you have to explain why you drop it. Oh no! Yeah, we've that, mentioned it, but... like back when we were doing the Angel Dust oh. uh, series, and I always thought if I got asked that question, I would drop "Surprise You're Dead" from the real thing. Oh, However, okay. listening to the song in preparation for this episode, as as sometimes happens. I kind of changed my mind a little bit. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's because I'm a little, little bit older or... I do find when we do these these appreciations of songs, I do find that you, you do... F- always with Faith Them All, you find new stuff that you can hear. But I find that I listen to them in a very different way to I've ever listened to them before when I'm doing it critically. Yeah. And sure. I often find that that does make you like a song more. Sometimes it even makes you like a song less. I think when we did... This town ain't big enough for the both. Both of us. I came away thinking, oh, do you know what? I don't like that song. Mm, mm, mm. But this, is, yeah, it's, it's grown on me. Yeah, good. Yeah, I, I, I think I just noticed more detail than anything else by re-listening to it. I'm pretty, pretty familiar with the song, and I've learned it on guitar. So, I guess you know you you get closer to a song when you learn how it's played, and especially mm-hmm. some of the timing, which we'll talk through, some of the timings and some of the weirdness about it. Like, mm-hmm. there's some really, it's a, it's a great song. Actually, it was last episode for Falling to Pieces. I said if if I was a bass player, in the, you know, as a kid, I would have been learning how to play Falling to Pieces. And this is a real guitarist's song, yeah. metal guitarist. Yeah. It's quintessential Jim Martin, isn't it? 
Oh, yeah. Through and through. But I, I have a similar sentiment to you in regards to thrash. Like, even, you know, even talking about Metallica, I got into Metallica around Load. I was familiar with the prior albums, but the first album I bought was mm. Load, and I preferred the more riffy side of Metallica. Me too. Yeah, everything from Black onwards. And I think I've said this before on this podcast, the Metallica Metallica album, mm. everything from there onwards, I like, or I've listened to everything before, which if you're a Metallica fan is your favorite stuff. I've mm-hmm. never, re- it's never really flowed. I mean, I've heard it, but I've never really, you know, it's never really floated my boat. Yeah. There's something about thrash where, I mean, it, there's so much detail in thrash, but at the same time, I, I find a lot of it, it just ends up feeling quite samey. You know, when things mm. are just far, as you said, you like space in your music. It's just with the pace and everything. It's like you either need a song with a really great standout riff and really great standout moments. Otherwise, they all sort of sound yeah, yeah, yeah. very similar. Sort of like the Mr. Bunny stuff. Yeah, I was going to say that. Or, or Dead Cross. I mean, the first Dead Cross album, it all kind of melts into one apart from that song Church of the Motherfuckers, which is the one that's got the space and it's got a bit more melody and it's a bit more riffy. Mm-hmm, that's the mm-hmm. one I like off that album. Yeah. Not that I'm letting, for anyone who loves thrash, it's uh, certainly much more intricate and detailed than I'm giving it credit for. But yeah, just doesn't have the detail in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to agree with what somebody said in the emails about the, and this is something that we have discussed on the Angel Dust episode, but I don't think we've mentioned this yet. Oh no, we did, we, we did mention it with From Out Nowhere, that the placing of the songs. Yeah, that was Maddie Hinchcliffe because I made the same... Yes, whatever you're about to say, I'm probably going to say the same. Yeah, I did. I did make the note. Pretty much what Matty Hinglish said. Hat Matty Hinglish said. Matty Matty Hinglish said. Yeah, Hinglish. That that it comes straight after those poppier chart-topping singles that are back to back, and then it's got this completely different change of pace and sound, and then it goes into the acoustic guitar of uh, intro of Zombie Eaters. So it's it's got this kind of strangely placed but really cleverly placed position mm. on the album mm. in the same way i i love the placement of the song obviously you've got the you, you've essentially the, the album opens with three singles and then you just get this you know i think you did you say earlier sonic assault or someone in their email said a sonic no, assault. no but that's a nice way of describing it yeah yeah and then it's just like it's just this hard hitting fast angry you know it's the first time on the album that that we hear um, Patton really sort of screaming and shouting. Uh, the other yep. interesting thing is that it's the first song on the album that we have no keyboards. Yep. And because uh, that was something that we covered off in the episode when I did the episode with Adrian, that this song, uh, there's a few songs on uh, The Real Thing that don't feature all the members. And uh, yeah, this is the first one yep. up that we have no keyboards. Yep. Mm. It's certainly got all the elements required to sit nicely amongst 80s hair terror metal music but there's certain nuances that no other could capture like this wonderfully comic approach that only us true faith no more fans could appreciate and it proved that Patton was more than just more than just a pop singer he's you know he could do these he could be heavy and he could scream and he could shout if he needed we have a demo of this song to listen to that's right that's right well, and the interesting thing too, uh, you know, if we're bringing up the demo, then the other thing I, th- I found really interesting is that, you know, it was Jim Martin who had heard Patton on, uh, I think it was, was it the God, God Damn It, I Love Him? Oh, no, he originally heard Patton on The Raging Wrath. Yeah. Um, 
but then they'd released, and he also had the goddamn I Love America, but a lot of Patton's screams in those early Bungle demos, the demo of this have um, have a very similar delivery style. Mm, mm. You know, the, the album becomes way more polished and his delivery is much stronger. Um, the the way in the demo when he goes, the I'm, I'm jumping around a bit, but it doesn't matter, but the uh, what's the line that he says, there's something I bestowed, uh, I need to ramp up to it. It's not Hatred over yet. Hatred I bestow. Hatred I bestowed. With the fatal blow. Yeah, the way that he delivers a Hatred I bestowed. Like he sort of yeah, does it in this yeah, real yeah. old bungle voice. Uh, which is, yeah, which I think is interesting. But anyway, coming back to the album version. Uh, as we're talking about Patton, even though he was a fan of heavy bands, Slayer being one of them, and he's spoken a lot more about this kind of period in his life through interviews about Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny and the inclusion mm. of Dave Lombardo and, and Ian. Ian! Ian! <laughs> on, his, on there. He, I do still think he approaches this song with a certain irony. It, oh, know, yeah. It's not, it, yeah. it is tongue-in-cheek. He, the way he sings and the lyrics, which we'll talk about in a bit. I think it, even the, for the fact that he kept the song title... You know, the song mm. was presented to him as an instrumental with the title Surprise You're Dead, and he just ran with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And thematically as well. The the music and the title both have separate origins, which I find quite interesting. Oh. So if we talk about the title, mm-hmm. it was originally called The Sailor Song. Yes. On set lists uh, mm-hmm. and as a working title. But the new title was recycled from a, a film directed by Roddy Bottom during his time studying at film school. Oh, I remember that. I knew you'd have that information. Mm. Yeah. And I've got a little Mm -hmm. um, quote from Roddy. I made a short film called Pets in college. Bill and Mike Bardin helped me with the soundtrack for the film. It was about a couple with pets in their apartment in compromising situations, and they were trying to adopt a child. It was a sort of dysfunctional family in modern America. The title eventually became Surprise You're Dead. Huh. Cool. And what about the origin of the music, Jim? Well, the origin of the music. So, Mike Bordin said in 2017, Surprise You're Dead is Jim's. It's been around for him note by note on a demo a long time before. It's a super good blast of energy. Uh, Bill said in 1990, It's pretty much Jim's tune. Basically, I think Jim's dead serious about it. He's a twisted guy. He's a self-parody of himself and at the same time gives his music that feeling. So yeah, Surprise You Dead was one of the first songs that Jim Martin and Mike Bordin began to work on in the summer mm-hmm. of 1988. However, the genesis goes back much earlier. The riffs were written during jamming sessions between Jim and childhood friend, the late Cliff Burton. Mm-hmm. I think we've mentioned in our Mike Bordin episode the uh, friendship that Mike and Cliff Burton had and how they grew up together. Yeah. Did we mention in our Jim Martin episode about uh, Jim and Cliff? I think we did. Yeah, I'm, I'm but, almost uh, Just as a recap, Jim and Cliff first met in 1978. They both went to Castro Valley High School and were in a band called Easy Street uh, with Jim on guitar, Mike Bordin on the drum kit and Cliff Burton on bass. Yep. Jim and Cliff went on to both attend Shabo College in Haywood, California. 
where they formed the band Agents of Misfortune. Mm-hmm. And I think they entered Battle of the Bands there Is in that the 1981. One? Yeah, and you can see the, the video of it and you yeah. can hear For Who the Bell Tolls in there. Uh-huh. Did you say this was Agents of Misfortune? Agents of Misfortune, yeah. Yeah, because I remember digging some of that up and maybe it was for the episode that I did sort of seek out some of that. And I remember that you can hear some riffs. I I don't think we hear any. Do we hear any Faith No More? Do you remember? No, I don't think we don't. It's surprise you're dead. According to Jim, the riffs with this were written by himself and possibly Cliff back in those days. Um, I've got a quote from 1994 from Jim Martin. Mm-hmm. We threw things into a huge, vicious turmoil. We'd make recordings of jams like that. And to make up a set, we'd just take various portions of the jams and use them. It was a beautiful thing. A lot of my ideas came from and still come from those jam sessions. If I want to write music these days, I'll jam. Record the whole thing and pick out certain riffs. I think Cliff did the same thing. He'd pick out sections that he liked for songs. There are some Metallica songs that were born from those jam sessions, such as For Whom the Bell Tolls, and yep. obviously Faith No More songs, such as Surprise You're Dead. Cool. Yeah, and I, I just did a quick little search, and when you search Agents of Misfortune on YouTube, it auto-completes to fill in For Whom the Bell Tolls. So oh, okay. There's some, uh, there them. Yeah, there's some audio of that in there. Yeah. Hmm. But the title of the song also appears, I think um, Rodrigo put this, is in his email, but I also had it in my notes. It appears yep. on a, a on a really early flyer um, yep. from 1984 at Mabohe Gardens in San 11th, Francisco. 11th yeah, just, of April. Just the title of it. So it's obviously, you know, a phrase that, that was knocking around in the brain boxes of Faith No More, you yep. know, from way back in the day, and they just found the right time to use it. Well, the lineup of the band for that flyer, so it was 11th of April 1984. Uh, the lineup at that time was um, Bill, Mike, and Roddy, but then it's Mark mm. Bowen on guitar and Courtney Love. Yeah. So we don't even have Jim Martin in the band when they've got this Surprise Your Dead flyer. And it comes with the extra words in this flyer saying, The wars outside are not your problem, it's the war in here. I don't know if that's Ooh. associated to anything anywhere, but if we know the origin of that, but. Andrew Bowie, 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 Bowie will know. Or even my friend uh, Yada, who uh, created the Faith No Man Faith No Man website, which has got details mm. from pre-Faith No More. That's a good website, that. If you haven't ever checked that out, I think it's www.faithnoman.com. It might have the dot. It might be faith.noman.com. Yes. Dot com. Yeah. yeah. I'm just looking it up. Yeah, faithnoman.com. Yeah. Right, do you want to talk about the music itself, then? it starts with a ding da ding da ding sort of bell thing have you ever seen and this this i'm gonna do this to you again i'm gonna check Uh-oh. your pop culture knowledge have you ever seen monty python's holy grail oh man i was gonna bring up the same thing oh yeah oh yeah. that's good i've got a little, little, little got a little note yeah. here Bro, can you see it? oh i like it i like bring it, it. Bring eric idol trundles through the medieval village yeah leading a cart piled high with disease-ridden cavities, and he's ringing his bell and saying, bring out your dead. Yep. This bit always reminds me of that. Well, and that's what I was going to say, because uh, I, I re-watched that scene just because I was like, am I right that he's ringing a bell? He's actually got like a gigantic triangle that he's just sort of hitting, but in my head he was like ringing yeah, a bell. Yeah, I always thought he was, yeah, he's not actually ringing a bell. Right. No, he's just carrying like a, a, a large triangle and sort of gonging it. Right, right. But uh, yeah, in my head it was always like ringing a bell saying, bring out your dead. And I wonder the origin and the decision because when they play it live, they just play a straight four four count mm. with on the hi-hat. Uh, you know, he could have 
been a bit more naff about it as in Mike Borden could have been and sort of hit the bell of his uh, ride symbol or something and done a ding da ding da ding da ding thing if he wanted to. Yeah, or they could have dropped a sample in. They could have just played a sample, but but I, I wonder the origin and the decision to open the song with, because it counts it, you know, it counts it mm. in as much as it uh, is just a, a feature as well. But I wonder, I wonder the decision. Why did they do that? Or were they even thinking of bring out your dead? Yeah, maybe they were eating I mean... As far as I'm aware, Bill Gould in particular is is very schooled in his uh, film and Mike Patton obviously uh, in their film. So and you know foreign film, English film in this case. I was going to say English, English as yeah. well. He loves his yeah. EastEnders, doesn't he? Uh, Bill does, Bill? Yeah. yeah. And Mike Patton, I think I believe Mike Patton's a big fan of James Bond. Everything in Mister Bungle seems to be named after James Bond. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah, that we've hit that nail on the head. Maybe that's housekeeping. Maybe I actually ask. One of the members, if if that that was the case, yeah. Well, it's it's funny too because uh, when Jim Martin, we'll get to covers later as well. When Jim Martin covers it on the Milk and Blood album that he did, that uh, that has a whole lot of bells that just start ringing. Is that not a sample of a a train track? Ah, yeah, yes. No, you're right. It's like when the when a train's going past and they've got the bell on the train. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it sounds like more than one or something's going on there, but... Um, it don't sound as good, anyway. It, well, it doesn't, and it doesn't count it. It's just a stupid sort of sample, but for the fact that he did that, was he just doing something that's just a reference to how it was done on the real thing, or was it an idea of Jim's? That Jim wanted these mm. sort of bells, mm. so that was the only thing I wondered. Yeah, look at, look at us go. All we've, we haven't even, the song hasn't even started yet. There's so much to yeah. talk about. So the other thing that I thought was fun, talking the music now, music comes in. Remember the epic episode I said to you, before the first chord even hits, we get that little bit of a, like that little bit of feedback. I noticed that this time. Yeah. Just because you, because you said it in the epic episode when listening to it, I thought, oh, that's the same thing. Yeah. So we get the same thing. Well, I think it's just like it's quite possible that he's either resting his hand on the strings to mute them and silence them, and as soon as he lifts his hand and hits the chord, you get that little bit of squeal and feedback. So it could mm-hmm. be that. It could also be that he wasn't too bothered by it and allowed loads of feedback to come through, and Matt Wallace has cut it out in the same way that he said that he did for Warpigs. Yeah. yeah. In Warpigs, he, he recorded silence in over the top, so... But my my feeling is more that he's um standing in front of his amp and right before he plays, it's just a bit of a squelchy feedback. Like it. The song has an interesting time and feel. Well, I was going to ask you about this because I've put in my notes that in a song like this, you would expect a drummer to be on the double bass drum pedal and speeding along. But Mike Bowden seems to be playing a very simple beat in a kind of strange time signature which holds the song back rather than pushing it on. Does that make sense? The guitar's yeah, pushing forward and Mike's keeping it from running away, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's the feeling of it. Like he's he's sort of holding it holding it together or holding that he's holding the feel back in those verses. What's interesting about it is that uh, the song maintains because there's in the the Matt Wallace video that we've got that we've referenced for the previous three episodes 
there's a little bit of a there's a little screen ga- grab that you know in the same way in the epic episode he said get the primus guys in for the gang vocals yeah, which was yeah. made later there's a note that flashes up on screen about this song that says time changes will be difficult or tempo changes will be difficult or something along those lines okay and the interesting thing is that the song actually maintains the same tempo it's the time signature that actually yeah. changes so What's odd about the timing is that it's in a 12-8, which can otherwise be counted out as like a 4-4 four, four in triplets. Yeah. With the riff, you got one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four and a... And the feel that we're getting from Bill and Jim on the on the bass and guitar riff is certainly like a triplet 4-4 four, four type of thing. Now, I'm not a musicologist and I can't specifically explain why you would favour notating something in one way or another. I just know in my guitar book it's referenced as a 12-8. What's interesting about Mike Borden's drum beat is that while the guitar and bass are playing more of a triplet feel, you've actually got Mike Borden holding it together with the eight count. So eight counts being uh, in 4-4, you've got the the four counts just a one, two, three, four, and eight counts like a one and two and three and four and. So Mike Borden for the verses... If you think of that and of all the eight eighth notes, the one and two and three and four and, he's hitting the hi-hat on the and, which is why it sounds really weird. It's like an offbeat. Mm. The, the way I sort of figured out what's going on here is I actually just tap my fingers on my table, just going one and two and three and four and one and. And I found that every time my my and finger hit the table, that was this, when the sound of the hi-hat came in. So I was like, okay, so this is what's happening. If you listen to the kick and the snare, the snare always plays on the two. So if you even if you want to count it as a one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a, the snare's always playing the two and the four, which is a standard sort of backbeat thing. The hi-hat's always playing on the eight, and it's actually the kick that is following the bass and guitar. Got you. So, yeah, if, you, if, if, you, if you're sort of listening through it, it's the hi-hat maintaining more of a 4-4 or 12-8 feel. Uh, sorry, like a, a straight feel, while everything else runs away with more of a triplet sound. Got you. Unusual, like, and uh, when you listen to the, again, the Jim Martin cover as a reference, the way those drums are mixed, the hi-hat sits a lot higher, so it sounds more wrong um, and probably unnatural, and I think because Mike Borden has that unusual sort of way of playing, he makes it work, whereas when, you know, when you can hear this other drummer covering it in the Milk and Blood version, um, it sounds weird. It's a very weird drum beat. Yeah, so we can we, we'll talk about more about the drums in a moment. Uh, you mentioned as well the gang vocals because we weren't sure if the Primus guys were featured in Epic or not. We don't know if we'll ever really know. Absolutely, we no. should ask Les Claypool. Les Claypool would love to have me on the show. According to Mike Bordin, they they could very well appear on this song. Also, it seems like those gang yeah. vocals were recorded at the same time. So that yeah, the gang vocals. They were like, we need some gang vocals for Epic, and we need some gang vocals for Surprise You're Dead. Because yep. obviously yep. Patton sings surprise and then there's a whole lot of voices going, you're dead, in the same very similar sound to it's it. 
Really? Yeah. I don't want to jump to Patton's vocals yet, but because you've just mentioned that, when they're saying that, is there like a reverse vocal in the backing vocals as well? Yeah. Oh my God, I didn't write that anywhere in my notes. The reverse, I remember mentioning that the last time when I talked to Adrian about this album. Yes. Reverse vocal. Surprise. Yep. Something I uh, <laughs> I uh, noticed. Yeah, I'm. So, I'm glad. I'm really glad um, you brought that up. I just. I'm glad that, I brought it up too. Yeah, the 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 way that that's executed. I mean, do I need to talk? I believe last episode I actually talked about, as in the Adrian episode two of mm. Podcast Croissant. Uh, mm. I believe I actually talked about the production process of how that's achieved. But essentially, you throw the thing in reverse, add a reverb to it, mm. and then you print that reverb in reverse in that reverse direction. And when when you flick it back the other way the reverse sort of that reverb trails in. So it actually gives you the exact sound of that first got you. That first hit. Nowadays, you just press a button and it does it for you. There was an episode we did years ago, and I, I, when I say years, episodes ago, and it probably was a couple of years ago. My guess is it was around 2020. Mr. John, before Mr. John was close to us, he recorded that train spotting intro. Do you remember that? No. Oh. There was one of our episodes going way back uh, opens, opens with a train spotting intro and he changed out all the references. Oh, yeah, actually, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. To all, remember, the, yeah, to all yeah. Faith No More yeah. stuff. Choose so in that, Yeah, choose, choose, choose this, choose that. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, the other thing, you said you wanted to talk about vocals later. Can I talk about the... Uh... Well, to be honest with you, I haven't got a lot to say on Bill other than he follows Jim and blends into the whole sound of the song, which is something he rarely does. He usually follows his own path. Well, and that's the, the the only thing I really wanted to say about Bill is that he's not a sort of standout feature of this song. No, but no, it's no, also, no. It's also an, an acknowledgement to him that he locks in so tight to the riff, and it's not an easy riff. So he's doing some stellar playing, but he's pretty well sitting in with exactly what the guitar's doing. There's some cool little accents in the chorus. We're about to get to the chorus anyway, where he, um, the dun 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 he sort of adds in some extra sort of uh, uh, accents. Every you can still one. hear his, his famous tone in parts, but you're going to really hear that if you're listening on headphones, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's this is... In, this is clearly and intentionally a guitar-centric song. Yeah, which is, is again, something very, Faith and the Mob very rarely do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, all I wanted to say about the vocal for the verse is that I love Patton's uh, See the Waters It Used to Be When You Used to Be When You're In Love When You're In Love until from you. That I love how he's brilliantly got these two sections where he's written these really fast words and it's just got so much energy. I remember being a 13-year-old kid when I first got the actual physical copy of the real thing and could open the uh, linear stroke liner notes open, open them up and see what the lyrics were and reading through them and just being amazed that these songs, I'd thought the lyrics were something and actually finding out what the actual lyrics are. Because let's face it, particularly on the real thing, sometimes you you just cannot ascertain what Mike Patton is saying. Once you get yep. the lyrics in front of you, you're like, oh, of course he's saying that. But Mike Patton's, the way he sang with this nasal tone back in those days, it was very difficult to pick out the words. 
And obviously, in this case, it was impossible to pick out those words because he, yeah. he chants them so fast. I remember being sat on my bed as a 13-year-old and thinking, ah, that's what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just the, uh, the delivery here is incredible. And mm. I noticed, we're going to talk about covers a bit later as well, I notice how many uh, people just don't do a great job of, especially the, the second <laughs> one's a bit easier to articulate the pain, the torment and torture preventity. Like there's a little bit more sort of punctuation and staccato in the, just the words themselves. But the, uh, the first, the first one, see the word as it used to be, there's less, uh, less, uh, what's, what's the word when words have like lots of P's and T's and lots of hard, um, hard consonants. There's might be another term for it, but they've got lots of hard consonants in the second one, but the first one's the soft consonants. Okay. When you're alive and when you're in love and when I like, they're not, they're not punchy. I'm not like pain and torment and torture prevent it, you know. Which is why we have pop shields to stop us. That's that's why I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. That, that's all I've really got to say on the verse. It's going to get to the mm-hmm. chorus now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. And then uh, this is where this is also really interesting. So the feel switches. Musically, it switches from 12-8 to 4-4 and the feel changes. They're no longer doing a triplety sort of um, gallopy thing. It's gone from from the goes straight straight ahead four four. And what's interesting too, paying attention to Mike Borden's drums, is that he switches his hats. He does switch to some ride as well through the verse. I should mention, but he instead of playing those off beats, he switches to playing the one. So then through the chorus, he's just going one two three four one. I'm air drumming while I sort of sing it, which is fine for you because you can see me on Skype, but no one else can. But that's the interesting thing about the chorus, that it switches to this sort of straight feel. And I really don't have a lot more to say on it. It's just, for me, it's just how excellent Patton's vocal delivery again. Well, if we just look at Jim's guitar for a second, we have briefly mentioned in a couple of episodes about his tone on this album and where it came from. So I did look into that for this episode in particular. Mm. Matt Wallace and Jim wanted that perfect guitar tone to complement this song and the album. So what they did was they visited Rick Rubin and David Bianco, who were working with Wolfsbane at Sound City Studios in Los Angeles. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm sure we did mention this before, but we weren't sure whether it was Metallica or Wolfsbane or they were just hanging out or whatever. But Jim did spend time with James Hetfield um, because they were recording And Justice For All at the time. Oh, yeah. Fucking horrible guitar sound on that. The guitars are very different sounding from the previous two albums, but I wouldn't say they're a world away from introduce yourself i wouldn't say that i think what you'll probably find is that he was probably using probably using the same guitar and guitar amp um mm. but just the room alone and especially and especially the the mic choice and the mic position <laughs> mm. the mic choice and the mic positioning makes a huge difference all right well it does because if i had a choice i wouldn't choose this mic i'd choose mike boarding and i'd position him right next to me it's amazing how big a difference it can make. You stick a microphone in the center of the speaker cone toward moving it toward the outside. 
it gets sort of darker you move it further out then you turn it off axis whether you've got it on axis or off axis if you've got it right up on the grill if you've got it back a few inches there's so many variables jim yeah of course of course uh, yeah. but i would i would dare say if i haven't said it already the real thing just for guitar tone is faith no more's best guitar tone album uh, i agree yeah Look, I don't really have a lot more to say for the the core. I, I just feel like I could definitely wear waffle pants and go on about all the different sort of timing things. But, I mean, I, I think aside from the things we're mentioning, the song then speaks for itself. So mm-hmm. the chorus, chorus, it's great. Patton does a great vocal delivery. The timing change feels, the, the timing, Jesus, the timing feel changes. There we go. Mm-hmm. That's how I say it. Uh, but, yeah, I... I I just don't really have much more to say. Then we get to the interlude, which is also uh, a 4-4, but it is all over the place. I'm going to read this straight from my guitar book, right, Jim? Okay. Yeah. No, I'm waiting. Can I just ask something? Have you got the guitar book for King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime? Yes. Have you? Yes. We'll talk about that off <laughs> off, <laughs> off episode another time, I've just got, something sprung into mind. I've got a PDF. I was going to buy it off can... eBay not long ago, and it, someone was selling it for 100 odd quid, and I thought... Jesus. I'm not spending that. I've got the Angel Dust one, even though mm-hmm. I don't play guitar, just as part of my collection. Uh, all right, so I'm going to read this straight from the guitar book, and I'll do it very quickly. Now, you've got to remember, too, when you notate something, it's also an interpretation. So just because this is how it's been interpreted doesn't mean it's actually what the true timing might be Duh, of the song. God. But let's just say, we get to the interlude. <laughs> we go from 4-4 four, four in the chorus... We then go, in the interlude, we go 6-4, bar 5-4, back to 6-4 and bar 6-4 again, then another bar of 5-4. Then we've got a bar of 7-4, then a bar of 3-4, bar of 4-4, and then two more bars of 4-4, and then it goes back to the verse. That's what's going on. All the craziness, because you obviously got the, you know, like there's extra ones. So the, and this would be all just Jim writing riffs. And so the timing of the music just follows however long these riffs go for. And then you got, which slows down. Man, it's just it's chaotic. It's all over mm. the place. It Patton does a little scream in that interlude. But that's it. It's otherwise just instrumental. It's not a solo. It's just an instrumental chaos section, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Is there another word for it than just saying it's the chaotic interlude? It's Jim Martini. It's very Jim Martini. I'll have a Jim Martini, thank you. <laughs> then... <laughs> I should mention, this is a fun point to mention the demo. The intro of the song, which we didn't talk about before for the for the album, we've got the, the bells. And then mm. he goes, dun, 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 Whereas the demo does this really weird dun, 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 and they just sort of play up chromatically. different intro and then the uh the interlude which is one of the coolest little writing parts of the song in the demo they sort of get to the 
end of all the riffs and then they just sort of sustain it out and go ring and then Mike Borden brings it back in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm dropping in samples of that as I talk about it because it speaks for itself much better as than always. I can. As always, Michael. But I love the way they bring the verse back in. You know that little bit, that little run? Yep. Just good songwriting. And then the last verse. When Patton sings, surprise. You're dead. Then he laughs again. But this time he goes, ah, ha, ha, ha. And you hear his throat kind of like, and he goes, ah, ha, ha, ha. Like you hear all of it, like all the all the energy, the passion. I thought you were going to say all the phlegm. Like, all the phlegm. You hear the phlegm too. <laughs> There's not a lot of interesting stuff that Matt Wallace had to say about this song. He uh, Maybe it was him that said it was a sonic assault. I don't remember. But he, he mentions that he thinks he put an AKG 414 large uh, large diaphragm microphone in front of Patton for this song just to capture all that dynamicism. And uh, he said that Patton has a loud voice. You know, because mm-hmm. some singers can sound loud. They can get right up on a microphone and they just sound loud. But Patton's actually got a lot of projection. Uh, and he's, the, he's a good, isn't he? He's a, he's a good lad. He's a good he's, he's, lad. He's a good lad. But, yeah, he's, the he's, vocal he's delivery bad. in this song, I think, is just sick. It's fun. It's good. It's powerful. And that mm. last laugh that he does uh, is great. The vocal delivery as well is like, and it's a, it's a phrase we've used many times, it's a glimpse of what's to come. Because I think the way that he shouts in this is similar to the way that he shouts in Perfect Crime after he's lost that nasal sound. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not quite angel dusty pattern yet. Yeah, it's like it's he's that a bit in young between that. thing. And you only really yeah. hear it on The Perfect Crime because that's the only song they did between albums. You're right. The um, the bitterness is hard to hide, all of that stuff. Right. The, the final thing I want to say on the song is right at the end, there's a sample. Yeah. You don't get a lot of samples on the real thing, but they're dotted about here and there. And it sounds You're to me right. sounds like some kind of explosion or something burning up or something like that. Yeah, you hear a bit of a crackle, don't you? It sounds yeah. a little burny. And I think it's a nice way to end the song. Yeah. This destruction's finally happened after this thrashy song. And then, like we said earlier, the guitar of Zombie starts, which is just a complete opposite mm. to what we've just heard. And I think that's lovely. Yep. And that's what I like. Faith and I do that on a lot of albums. They go from one extreme to another. Um, the dark and the light, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the opposites. I love it. Yep. Well, and I think that that too is what's so great about the, the track listing is that it creates that contrast so that you, you know, you come out of falling to pieces and then you just get this hard-hitting yeah. sort of thing to create that contrast of well, It creates a journey, doesn't and- it? It's ra- rather than... Listening to separate songs, you listen, you're going on a journey and you're listening all the way through, very much like Angel mm. Dust. I'd say Angel Dust and The Real Thing are, are the two albums that you feel 
like that the most with maybe King mm-hmm. for a Day in, in in parts. Well, I you know it's, it's something you never really think about that when the the order of the songs you wonder how that album would sound if they were ordered in a different way. And and I'm a thousand percent sure that Faith and the Moss sat down with Matt Wallace and and worked out an order to put these songs in. And probably yep. had, you know, deliberated over it and argued over it. No, this song would be better there. That song would be better there. And I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of thought goes into this song order on every album. Mm-hmm. I remember there used to be, there used to be a thing. There used to be a thing that uh, you just put, you just put your strongest songs at the start of an album, you know, and I would say that there's also potentially record company pressure to just, you know, if the singles are there, put the singles at the start of the album because what you want to do is capture the listener. Mm. You know, uh, if you put if you put your your strongest songs later in an album, there's a chance that they might drop off and stop paying attention before they get there. Possibly, uh, that's yeah. a very yeah. old school sort of. That was the old sort of view, and I get the impression too when when a band's got a lot more say in what they do, they can afford to put singles wherever they fit on an album, whereas you know, with the pressure with where they were at. I wonder if there was any interference from the record label. But then again, the record label didn't really want Epic as a single. So, and that was track two on the album. Yeah. yeah. So, You're right. who knows? I, 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 would, I would suspect that the band and Matt Wallace would have worked together on constructing that, per, that perfect yeah. track listing. You want to talk about lyrics? Uh, well, one more thing about the track listing too, because the track listing changes depending on the format, doesn't it? It does. You're right, yeah. Yeah, the um, vinyl version is. I th- is it? Am I right in thinking the the original v- release of the vinyl didn't have War Pigs or Edge of the World on? Possibly, that was added on cassette as bonus tracks. Yes, and on CD, I could reach down right next to me and pull out the vinyl, but I'm going to do it. My cassette had Edge of the... See ya. Yeah, my cassette... Yeah, I'm listening. Sorry. I'm sure my cassette, which is not in reach. I don't don't know where that is. That actually had um, Edge of the World at the end of side A and then War Pigs at the end of side B, possibly. Well, you're asking something now if I've got to get cassettes out as well. I can do it. They're right in front of me. Right, hang on. I'll do it. Look, the thing is, we don't have to edit any of this out. This one room. You, you, you created a... this one room. All my faith in the more stuff is banished into one room. Right. Look, I don't, I don't want to waste your time, but I, I did, I did manage to Google it and find out. <laughs> you, you, you shit! It's too late now. I'm already in my box. Right, I found it. Right, so, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Oh, that was a journey. I love that. <laughs> that was a journey. Is that what he said? It was a journey. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. And uh, I'm sure somewhere it must be on the CD. Oh, no. It says it on the front of the cassette. Contains two extra songs written yeah. on the front of the cassette. Yeah. So, obviously, they released the vinyl, which doesn't have Edge of the World and War Pigs on it. They released this vinyl... And at the same time, I'm guessing they released the cassette, 
with the two extra songs on to try and persuade people to buy the cassette. Yep. You see, what annoys me about the cover of this... Oh, I can talk about the cover. I like the cover, but the band didn't like the cover of, of the album. I think what they did was they recorded the album and the record company just picked an artist, you know, who's, uh, who's sent some artwork in and they used it. It was never approved or... Well, I'm assuming it was approved, but it was never deliberated by the band. So this whole Splash Flame thing wasn't their idea at all. It was a record company, which we find so synonymous with the band. Mm. It's interesting, though, because it's very them, you know, like to the whole fish out of water thing for Epic, you know. That, yeah, you know, but uh, those style, obviously those stylings were kind of based then on, on the feel that this album has. Yeah, but the... The whole, what you're saying, the light and the dark and all of that, the contrasting sort of thing, that that's exactly what the cover art sort of says to me. And it was the first album that didn't contain the um, Faith No More Star oh, yeah. anywhere on the artwork. They'd stopped, they hadn't stopped using it because it was on T-shirts of the time and yep. on the drum, the uh, drum head. bass drum, drum yeah. head, yeah. But it's nowhere, it appears nowhere on the album. The back of the album with the picture of the band... This was kind of one of the first pictures I ever saw of the band. And when you uh, became a fan and years later, Billy Gould looks nothing like he does on the back of this album. And neither does Mike Patton. Really? They look very different in that photo. I don't have a picture in front of me. Can you hold it in front of your camera? Hold it up. Hold it up. Higher, higher, higher. Uh, yeah, Bill's got a cowboy hat. Yeah. Which, you know, he, didn't very, he never wore a cowboy hat, really. And Patton's looking a little bungly to me. A little bungly. Has he got eyeshadow on or something? No, no, no. no. It's no. just the, the it's contrast just of the photo. Um, and I never understood why it had, on the opposite, so like above them, there, you can mm. see that. It's like yeah. um, a factory. It's got chimneys and, and like a steelworks factory or something. Something you'd find more... In the north of England, like in Sheffield or, you know, Barnsley or something. It's not a very American-looking photo. Hmm. And then they go and release the CD, and for years, the front cover was just a flame with, with only a bit of the background in. They ignored this entire bit of artwork, and it was just a flame, which irritated me. And it's mm-hmm. only when the deluxe versions of this album came out that they went back to using the actual um full cover oh that's something i hadn't noticed yeah well buddy you mentioned the sample at the end of the song that's all i've got to say about the song do we want to talk about the lyrics yeah sorry we'll go to the lyrics we just tangent tangented off onto the actual uh cover of the album but we haven't spoke about the cover of the album in this series yet so that's tick that's done Yay. Okay, quote from 1990, Mike Patton. Yes, read the lyrics. They're really ridiculous. The song kind of sounded cartoonish, so I wrote that kind of lyric to it. Hey, I listen to a lot of Slayer. Mike Bardin said in 2017... Sorry, I'm still not sure about that. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you said, hey, Siri, because you said, hey. So, although Patton has never cared to reveal a true insight into the meaning of these lyrics in keeping with the perversity of the other lyrics on the record he did refer to necrophilia so in 1990 Patton said okay I admit it necrophilia is definitely a a fascination 
I haven't been put in a situation where I could explore it yet, but Karen Greenlee is someone who interests me. She was this girl who went round mortuaries and got jobs as a caretaker. She'd take the night shift and start having fun with corpses. She got caught, but I think she got off by just paying a fine or something. So I just find it funny that Mike Patton um, talks about necrophilia. I'm just reading over the lyrics to see if there's anything indicative of uh, necrophilia. necrophilia, but there's nothing. I mean, he says, from it's, from my teeth and my tongue, I've drank and swallowed, but it's just begun. But that was, uh, that, Mahoney said that it even had a, sort of some vampirism, like vampire type references, which who knows? I mean, when he says it's cartoonish, I, my personal impression of it was that he was just basically running with the theme, surprise you're dead, and just says a bunch of yeah. brutal things and... Yeah, he's, he's inhabiting a, a character again, isn't he? You know, it, it doesn't it does it less obvious on this album, but yeah, it could be inherit, inhabiting the character of a murderer or a vampire again. What we said in last episode, the very English student words. There's some really, mm. you know, some great use of words in here. You know, surprise, you're dead. Open your eyes, see the world as it used to be when you were in it. Yep. My favourite line, I'll keep killing you until the end of time. I think that's great. Mm. It could maybe suggest vampirism, some kind of immortality, something like that. But I just think in general, the lyrics on this album are Mike Patton being an accomplished English student, being very good with words, very poetic. I don't think he poured too much of his own personality or uh, experiences into this album. I think that came later in Faith No More's catalogue. I think artists, musicians, anyone who writes lyrics uh, over a long period of time and, you know, have a lot of songs that they've had to write lyrics to, they will evolve. And I think you said it before that your favourite lyrics appear on Angel Dust. Would that be right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some great lyrics on here. Don't get me wrong, especially for what, a 20-year-old kid? Uh, how old was he in 1988 when he wrote this? These were 19. Yeah, he would have been Yeah, he would have been 20 when he was writing these. So as we have said in other episodes, he only wrote these lyrics within a couple of weeks, hmm. uh, you know, prior to recording the album. Probably had some written down in notebooks. So, you know, he, he probably didn't start fresh with everything. He had lines and, and ideas that he probably already had written down. Mm, um, mm. but he's a talent guy, not just as a singer, as a lyricist. And then he always says, he always poo-poos his own lyrics and says they just come out of his arse or whatever and don't get attached to them and don't think that he's trying to pour any kind of meaning into them. And I believe that to a certain extent, but he's a talented guy. Well, that's the thing. I think he's just talented. I, th- I yeah. believe that's his attitude toward them. Like, don't make too much out of them and he just makes the words fit the melody. But I, I think he is just very talented at writing lyrics. The thing else that I got thinking about was that I would say King for a Day and Album of the Year, the approach to the lyric writing is just very similar. Um, Soul mm. Invictus is very different because he's had very so much different. time in other in yeah, other bands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, way more sort of quirky and unusual sort of lyrics feature on Soul Invictus. But I think it's interesting to look at the evolution of his lyric writing from The Real Thing to Angel Dust and then obviously King for a Day to Album of the Year being a little bit more similar. Like he sort of established a bit more of a process, it would seem. Yes. Whereas Angel Dust, he spent a lot of time really sort of crafting something interesting. Whereas I I, I feel like with The Real Thing, 
And this is what I was going to say before, when you get any band or any artist that's written a lot of lyrics, their lyrical style will evolve over time. But it's always interesting to read their early lyrics because I think you get some of the most sort of just raw and natural words because once you've written once you've written your first 10 or 20 songs all those raw and natural things that are just going to naturally pour out of you you've already done them so then mm. you've got to explore further so angel dust felt more like further exploration whereas this album just seems a lot of it i don't know i just i really i like the lyrics on this album because there's more of a simplicity to them and there's more of that english student sort of sound to them it's hard to articulate, but it's... Well, the next song we talk about from The Real Thing will be the song, The Real Thing, uh, which what I think... zombie eaters, though? Uh, not the next song we talk about from from <laughs> in this series, but the song after will be the title the... song, The Real Thing. And I think the lyrics are particularly special and well-written mm. on that song. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll, we'll get to that one. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't have much more to say on anything specific to do with the lyrics. Video? Yeah, do you know much about it? It's sort of stitched together by Bill. Yeah. From footage captured on a handheld camera during the band's 1989-1990 tour in Europe and America. Mm -hmm. With this video, I think the first time I saw it was on the um, Video Croissant, which Mm -hmm. stole its name from our podcast, released in 1993. Mm. I, I don't know whether it was released before then whether it was played on any MTV or anything like that. I'm, I'm doubting it. Mm, mm. The rabbits, I mean, you can see some of that footage as well on the bits in between the videos on Video Croissant, the bit where Mike Patton's following the old woman down the street and he's going, mm. hello, hello, then he screams at her. You, there's actually footage of Bill filming him doing that. And I, I guess they liked the song. They didn't release it as a single, but they wanted a video accompaniment to it. And Bill had all this footage... And, you know, there's some gruesome little bits where, it, it, I, I can't remember, when it was it Anna Starnell said it in the emails where Mike Borden's running around with a chicken foot in his hand. Mm-hmm. Jim Martin's got like a pig mask on, I think, in, in part of it. Yeah. Mike Patton obviously sat on the toilet with, with coins in his eyes, which is what they used to do to dead bodies back in the olden days, um, with a hood on, you know, with his hood oh, up over his head. Oh, yeah, that's what that was about, of course. Well, and in the very intro of the song, Bill standing at the toilet stall song, and I assume it's the same toilets that Patton's recording his, uh, vocal, his little vocal delivery. Well, yeah, I, I like that video. And for a long time, it wasn't on YouTube. Well, I say it wasn't. It was on YouTube, uploaded by myself to the Faith No More Followers YouTube account. And then as soon as Warner Brothers uploaded the official version of it, mine got banned. Mine got cut. Oh. Even though it had, like... 100,000 views or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's very punk rock. Yeah. Obviously, it's black and white. I would imagine part of the decision to make it black and white as well would have been because they're stitching together so much footage. They've got the stage footage, tour footage, all that weird farm footage where they're... Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess someone's cut the head off a chicken because they, they show a, a chicken without a head on flapping around. To stitch together what's also just like, Looks like stock footage of just people firing guns and there's yeah 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 bits bits and pieces here and there. It's much easier to make things look uh, cohesive when you just switch it to black and white because then you you don't have to worry about color grading everything so that it all sort of fits. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to ask or point out was in the second verse, 
uh, at the start of the second verse, uh, surprise, you're dead. There's a guy that says you're dead and he's standing in the street and he's sort of circling and he looks like a... Does he, does he have like his eyes blacked or, out? And his eyes are, yeah, in, the, the color's inverted over his eyes where it's sort of blacked out. But do, do we know who that is or what that's... No, is that taken I, I, from I, a movie? No, I, I don't know. Maybe a bit, again, a bit of stock footage could be from anywhere, really, couldn't it? But he says you're dead. Or at least it looks like he says you're dead. Ah, All right. th- anything more to say on the uh, the video? Nope. Nope. I was just going to mention cover versions real quick. Yeah. Yep. Up before we talk about, we've got our little snippet coming up from Andrew Bowie, Bowie, Bowie. Bowie, Bowie, uh, Bowie. So, surprise, your dead covers. Mm. Probably the, the better known one or the better known cover for everybody would be uh, Jim Martin doing a version of for himself yep. on his Milk and Blood album. He sings it himself. Everything about it is worse. Yes. I didn't notice the bass playing, actually, but... The guitar sounds worse. I mean, the guitar playing is probably just the same because it's Jim, um, but the guitar tone is not not nearly as good. Uh, the the drumming. I don't, one thing I don't mind about it is I like I love raw recordings. I love really raw production, mm. and the drums are pretty shitty sounding, and I kind of like it. They sound weird because the hi hat's mixed higher, and the drummer doesn't have Mike Borden's delivery, but. Yeah, but all in all, the vocals suck. By Jim Martin himself. Yeah, Jim Martin does the vocals. With backing the... vocals by James Hetfield. On that song? I, I believe so, yeah. Oh, because I know that the opening track, I forget the name of it, the opening track of Milk and Blood, you can hear Hetfield going, Yeah, yeah! Is it Disco Dust hmm? or something? Yeah, could be. No, I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure I read that James Hetfield did backing vocals on this song. Yeah, Hetfield's definitely on it, but I don't know that he's on this song. But you read that he's on this song? or Yes, yeah, so I've, I've got a few it? interviews from Jim Martin post Faith No More. Oh. Uh, from Kerrang! and stuff. So I'll, I'll dig that out. Housekeeping next episode. I'll dig it out. I'm sure, okay. I'm sure I read yeah. that somewhere. My bad for not researching it further for this episode. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't think that James was on this particular song. But the, the opening track, while we're talking about it, the opening track... To the album, you said Disco Dust. I think so, yeah. You know how Faith No More have a few songs, you know, you've got Faster Disco, but you know how they use I've got disco. it on CD down here. <laughs> I can get it if you want. No, I'm no. not. No, no, no. But the, you know how they've used the word disco to describe a few songs as working titles? They've got different disco references. Oh, it's definitely a reference to Faith No More. It's definitely a... Uh, so I wonder if Disco Dust is kind of like goodbye to Faith No More, like they're dust. Because he called... The songs on Angel Dust, Gay Disco, didn't it? Gay Disco, you're right, yeah. So, yeah, I wonder if Disco Dust is oh, some sort oh, of Oh, 100% to... for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't approve of the name Angel Dust. He said something along mm. the lines of, if you, you know, if it's called this album, it's nothing to do with me. If if, if the album's oh, called yeah. Angel it's nothing to do with me. Yeah, yeah. And I just realised you got Angel Dust, Disco Dust. <laughs> right, what coverage have you got, Michael? All right, so yeah, the Jim Martin version, vocal suck. And the fast bits as well, that we were talking about before. He doesn't. He doesn't even get the timing right. Like it just sucks. Uh, here's a bunch that I found. Um, they're all on YouTube. If you just search "Surprise Your Dead" cover, there's heaps. 
Lots of metal bands. Metal bands love doing it. It is interesting. You were talking before about double kick. There's a lot of versions like down-tuned. They're lower, they're heavier, they're screamier uh, than more brutal drums. There were some that just like the interlude gets more chaotic and especially the fill coming out, all of that. Um, but yeah, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, anybody, there's a band called Caustic, Whipworm, Narakam, Necronomachrist. Necronomachrist. Um, 21 Lucifers. I like that name. 21 Lucifers. Uh, Barrage. Uh, Scar Culture. Fucking hell, is a lot. Oh, I found it. I only found three. No, uh, Aborted. Yes, uh, I found all that shall, one. Yeah. All, all Shall Perish. Uh, Revocation. Yeah, yeah. The um, there I was am. a live... There was, there was a live version uh, from a band called A Good Rogering. <laughs> hey, I like that. Yeah, I thought you would. Uh, my favorite of all the covers was one I found on Bandcamp by Zedmore. Zedmore. And they it was just a bit more of like a black metal production, like just very raw. Um, but I particularly like the Zedmore cover. So okay. I'm just going to drop a little sample of that one because I like it. <laughs> Bit of pop culture for you there. Where do you think they got that title from? The name, the um, band name, Zedmore. Yeah, um, they wanted more of the character from Police Academy. Ghostbusters. Oh, Winston really? Zedmore. Winston Zedmore. Name of one of the characters. Oh, okay, that's fun. I have seen Ghostbusters. You what? Um, I have. Oh, I I'm saying I, I have seen them. I thought Jesus. No, I have. Oh, 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 Except for the. Been. Was it Amy Schumer or there was a Redux with the female Oh yeah, yeah, with, with 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 women as the title characters. It's okay, it's, but it's not. You know, it's not. I watched fifteen movie. minutes. Yeah, I watched yeah. fifteen minutes. I'm like, I can't do this. Oh, the the original Ghostbusters. I, I is wanted my, is, to like it. In my top ten favorite films of all time, the original. I just want to mention too, uh, while we're talking, this sort of it's not quite. It's a, it's a cover, um, and a little acknowledgement to Creepy Rodrigo. Because uh, he did email us about this as well. The surprise your surprise your dead was sampled on a game called King of Fighters '94. Yep, yep, I knew this one. little 8-bit sound sample. Mm. Uh, let's, shall, we, uh, shall we cut to Andrew Bowie? Thanks to a Stefan Shirazi review, Surprise You're Dead is one of the few songs we know for sure was played at Patton's first show at the I-Beam in San Francisco on the 4th of November 1988. It's referred to as a new song by its codename Sailor Song, along with Woodpecker from Mars' Violin Song. Every single confirmed set list from 1989 to 1993 excluding TV or radio slots, includes Surprise You're Dead. In 1995, Surprise is in around a third of shows. It's played about as often as Zombie Eaters and From Out of Nowhere. The album of the year tour is a wasteland for the Real Thing songs. Epic is played, obviously, but Surprise You're Dead is one of only two other The Real Thing songs played that tour, along with From Out of Nowhere, 
known only to have been played twice. Surprise Your Dead is known to have only been played seven times in the early months of the tour and then dropped. For the reunion, Surprise starts popular, but slides off the set list over the years. It's played at all but one show in 2009, at about 80% of shows in 2010, half the shows of 2011, two of eight shows in 2012, and then no shows at all in 2014. It returns to the set list in 2015, but is played only in the first few months of the tour before being dropped again. It's last played on the 18th of June 2015 at the Roundhouse in London. And then uh, do you have any live things you want to talk about? And Andrew Bowie's just talked about stats of when they've played it. So No, the only thing I wanted to say about this song, uh, I'm sure Andrew Bowie's already covered this off. It was played at Mike Patton's first ever show, Faith No More show, on the 4th of November in 1988. And Stefan yep. Girazzi wrote a, a review of that gig and described it as an ugly melee of guitar crunch and rhythms big enough to collapse your chest cavity. And I, I really liked that description from me old friend Stefan. Love to yeah. have you on the show. Yeah. Yeah, it would be good to have him on, actually. Yeah, he's a good like, he's a, he's we a should do that. good fellow. And he's, he, he'd have some great stories as well. We should I do bet. a, a Stefan episode. Yeah. And you see, you get the thing is with someone like Stefan, is you get the stories that the band would never talk about. Yeah. Uh, or wouldn't totally. remember. I bet Stefan remembers a lot more about their history and about what things that went on than the band actually remember. Oh, I wonder if he knows if Primus went in the studio to do oh, he probably, he probably gang vocals. Does. I bet he does. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a whole lot to mention about this live. I, I just. Um, I was talking about that f- coming out of the interlude, going back into the last verse. That timing's really hard, and then it surprise. And I've noticed sometimes Patton would, you know, maybe 5%, even 3% of the time, sometimes miss that first surprise. <sighs> he just yelled at you all dead. down. Mm. What's the show? Is it Monsters Monsters of Rock? Monsters of Rock when he's got the shaved head? Yes. I think they do it at that show. And I think that's one of the shows that he misses the oh, surprise Michael, at the Michael. start. Yeah, it's probably all that spit in his mouth. Possibly. like... <laughs> I don't know why he misses it, though. It's not like, you know, he's got very good timing. I don't know why, but that's just a little something that I've noticed. I, I, I think it's a great song live. It's good fun. Available now from podcast game. Uh, available now from croissant gaming box things is is the new tabletop role playing game TTRPG apostrophe yes, which is short for tabletop role playing game. And you, now it's new. It, it's you can play it. It's it's surprise you're dead. Yeah, and you you and if, if, if your friends if if. If you have friends, you can get a friend and get just get any friend. Find a friend. Oh my God! Please get some friends, and you you and your friends you you can choose to be you you, you can be Faith No More now. Yeah, yeah, you can be Faith No More in the new. To, to, uh, what is it? Table. Fucking hell! I've got a pop up on my screen. Tabletop role playing game. Friends, get your friends. Have get together a room. Yeah, a small room. Put the light on. Just a, just have a bulb. Just one bulb dangling, a dangling bulb dangling. We like things that dangle, don't we? Yes, yes. Croissant Games presents 
tabletop surprise you're dead tabletop game it's a game you, you get 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 i'll get mike and jim i'll get mike and jim i'll travel i'll buy tickets i'll get mike and jim and we'll travel and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll sit on the train together or the plane or whatever or the automobile and we'll, we'll like john candy and we'll just play the game play the tabletop role playing game surprise you're dead it's a game you're, you're faith no more you, in, in the game you, you, not, maybe maybe you are faith no more but you can be faith no more in the game as well if you're not faith no more you just faith no more in the game so you're your game you're, you're the game the game is you without the game you are nothing the game is nothing without you and and it's a tabletop role-playing surprise your dead game it's a game you can play the game this is an advert it's got on way too long this is a tabletop role-playing game you and your friends get some friends for the love of god make just make some friends that that friend who who who, who, who you had once who, who was your friend get them just just they'll they'll play i promise if if, if they like faith them or if they don't they'll, maybe they'll like tabletop role-playing games surprise you're dead you can play this game and and at the end of it you're dead Hey! Hey! <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. So people may have guessed that we record this podcast in various sessions. And since we last spoke, there's been more surprise you're dead! Oh, so many right. people have died since we last spoke, since we yeah. last recorded. Pope photo-hating fancy restaurant diners, Skinhead O'Connor, surprise, you're dead! <laughs> Did you? Oh, Mike Patton horrible. once said on stage, I can't remember what festival, we were at playing a festival, and he said something about Sinead O'Connor was fucking Lenny Kravitz. And apparently they were both stood at the side of stage and watching Faith No More. Oh, I don't know if I've heard that banter or, or remember any of that. Yeah. Possum abusing cross stresser Dame Egg Sniggy Snitch. Surprise, you're dead. Who? Dame Ed Ravage, dead. Oh, what? Did that only happen since it's, we last it's spoke? Happened, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> shit, it's been a while. I, uh, <laughs> and I got one more. What you should know, she's like your uh, mascot for your country, isn't she? She's he. Dame Ed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's he? What's Bow tie wearing OG Mr. Bungle Puppet Man, Pee Wee Herman. Surprise, you're dead. Well, that was recent. Yeah, that was like two days ago or something. And I love that I found out about Pee Wee Herman all through uh, Mr. Bungle pages. Mr. Bungle, yeah. 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 Is, was Pee Wee Herman a big thing in Australia? Because he wasn't here. Not really. I mean, I, no. I briefly, briefly watched, like, got into him and watched a couple of movies, but my parents obviously thought it was ridiculous and terrible and hated me watching it but i think I've it was short-lived film the it's pretty irritating peewee herman at a circus or something Pee-wee he's like herman a real life woody circus. woodpecker or something anyway yeah just wanted to update the surprise you're a dead section of the show the new section of the show right sure and uh yeah barry humphreys of course was that that recent are you sure that wasn't longer ago and, and then didn't mention uh, him at the beginning of the episode, so I thought I'd better get that in, seeing as though he's like a figurehead for your fair country. Uh, my girlfriend and I only watched a documentary on Sinead O'Connor recently because, I mean, I didn't really know her that well. I mean, I knew nothing compares to you as a single 
and then Same. I never really was into her music. I knew that she was controversial, you know, but she's pretty badass, man. I mean, I, I remember feeling quite sorry for her when her son passed away and she's been sort of a bit uh, mentally unstable for a while. Yeah, then she put on her Facebook page that she was going to commit suicide like a few years back. And like all the fans were reaching out to her and, and I think mm. it was the fans that rung, you know, that, that followed her on Facebook, rung the emergency services to, you know, to go over and check on her. Right. Yeah. No, she said, um, that makes sense. She, she started saying things on Twitter or Facebook around ways to, ways to commit suicide without, you know, with minimum distress for the family or something. I, I, I don't know exactly, but, um. Yeah, she was showing some yeah horrible signs of mental illness uh, a little while ago. But yeah, the documentary was wild. It was actually really good to watch. She, uh, yeah, she's a badass, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. We, we discussed this earlier on in the, the episode that Surprise You're Dead is an actual celebration of people's lives. Love them all. Love them all. Love all them. Even, oh, who course. did we say at the beginning? And What's his face? Death Rob doesn't Harris. discriminate. Loved him as well. Jim? No. What? Death doesn't discriminate. Yeah, I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> I said even Rolf Harris. Even Rolf Harris. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you know, I think at the start of the episode, I don't know how I remember this, but the I think I said Ralph Harris. Rolf Harris. But uh, uh, did I say that somewhere I think I have a signed book from him? I met Rolf Harris when I was a kid. Did you? Yeah. He, did he touch you? Uh <laughs> only, only in the comedy feels. Yeah. I thought Ralph he was Hamish, fucking, that's I loved I him. him. He was hilarious. Well, he. I can tell you that when I met him, we bought a book that he would sign, which I don't mm. think I have that book anymore, and it's long gone. But he, I remember meeting him, and he said, "And what's your name?" And I went, "Um, Michael." And he went, "Okay, so should I make it out to Um Michael?" And then it was like, ha, 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 oh, yeah, little did I know he touched children. Yep, so we in this episode we have celebrated the lives and deaths of Ralph Hamish, Tina Turnpike, Skinhead O'Connor, Barry Humphreys, and OG Mr. Bungle, Puppet Man, Pee Wee Herman. What's his real name? Paul Rubens, is it, something? Yeah, yes, I, yep. Mm. Right, did you mm. watch Goodfellas? Yes. Right, play the jingle. I hate when people talk during the movie. Yeah, watch it. It's good. I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I really, really have much to say at all. I, what I... As soon as it started and it just the way that the scenes were presented, then they did like a bit of a freeze frame while there's Ray Liotta's voiceover and everything. Oh, he's just dead. Very Scorsese. Ray Liotta, he's dead. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little while ago. Yeah, I th- just the, the style of the film. I thought, oh, yeah, all right, yep, yeah, I'm into a Scorsese production here. But it was, it was great. It was a really, really good film. One of those must-watch things that I shouldn't have missed, but I had. I'm glad I watched it's it. It's in my top ten. Of all time films, I love it. It's just a banger. Yeah. So, look, anyone who hasn't seen it, definitely recommend. It's just one of those must see films. So, jump forward by a couple of minutes because I'm going to j- go to spoiler town. But the the ending bummed me out a little bit. Yeah, just the whole police protection component. And yeah, but it's based on actual. 
that's right. Actual it's based thing. on a true you know, story. Can't you can't change, change the ending. <laughs> just to see Michael. Yeah. Well, what they could have done is just use the original story and then change the ending well, for the Hollywood done, ending that we all would have liked. Yeah. Scorsese is great. Love Scorsese. I watched, rewatched. Wolf of Wall Street recently, and that is just one of the greatest films of all time. I didn't care for it. Oh, I didn't care for it's, it. It's it's hilarious. It's so funny. Leonardo DiCaprio's brilliant in it, and that's when I fell in love with Margot Robbie watching that film. Well, I mean, yeah, to be stereotypically male for a second, Margot Robbie's appearance in that um, made it re- all worthwhile. I didn't care for mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. much. Jonah Hill's always kind of shit me a little bit oh, because he just oh, but he was brilliant. All he can do so is play funny. the same character, but he was he was okay, wasn't he? He was funny. Yeah, the, the Qualudes scene, Qualudes, Qualudes, where he's driving the where car. He drives the car. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a little bit silly. I but I was looking through Scorsese's film mog, filmography, uh, mm. and that could be someone's name, couldn't it? Filmography. Film. Hi, my name's Phil. Filmography. Dude. <laughs> it's better than Michael. <laughs> What's the origin of uh, Mography as a uh, as a surname? Mography. Uh, yeah. Do you think there's any Mographies out there, Mister Mography? Yeah, like cats. There's like a Dave Mography, and it's like, geez, your parents missed a chance with a great name. Uh, so, yeah, I've seen Taxi Driver and I've seen Raging Bull, which I saw years ago, and I'd still rewatch those because I was just a kid. Taxi Driver, wouldn't, top film. Yeah, wouldn't, top, I didn't top, know top, top films. Taxi Driver's the one with the you looking at me scene, right? Yep. And that fucked your wife. Did you say, oh, you fucked my wife. You fucked my wife. I didn't fuck your wife. Or was that Raging Bull? That's not Taxi Driver. Yeah, it must be Raging Bull. There's a really great YouTube clip of uh, Fred Flintstone where someone's grabbed Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble having an argument and they've overdubbed the you fuck my wife scene. It's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, look, I don't, don't want to carry on. You know, I've never seen Cape Fear. Oh, that's great. That's a great film. Yeah. yeah it's a uh, remake. I saw Shutter Island. Didn't care for Shutter Island that much. Oh, that, sort of I love that on. too. And of course, Cape Fear, the theme song, was played by Phantomus. Yes, yes. The Departed, I've mentioned before, I, I think Great. that's one of that's an all-time favourite film of mine. Actually, and that's that would be my favourite Scorsese film. Um, but that's probably a little bit um, what would be the word naive to have The Departed. Was that is that revered as one of his best, or is there loads of better ones? Because no, I, I, I would say I, I prefer Departed over Goodfellas, but maybe that's just yeah. for being more of my time. I mean, don't get me wrong, Departed's great, but I think Goodfellas is the best. Scorsese film. I liked The Irishman, you know, the, the the more recent one he did. I don't know that I saw that. Well, that might be your film for next the episode. Irishman. Yeah. I mean, I'm, look, I'm I'm more up for good films, The Irishman. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's good. Well, we can make that unless something else pops up. But uh, did anything else pop up earlier in the episode? I don't, I don't know. that we, we recorded the first half of this episode three weeks ago, so I have no idea what we said or yeah. did. Time's really yeah. slipped away. I know it was about Surprise You're Dead. And that is about it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's that's enough sort of carrying on with it. Oh, the one thing I wanted to ask you, though, Ray Liotta, I think that's why I struggled with the film as well, because have you ever seen the movie Revolver from 2005, the Guy Ritchie film? I think I started watching it and didn't really get into it. I may have watched it all. I'm not sure. 
Ray Liotta's great in Copland, by the way. Okay, never saw that. That's good for the good for Yeah, Revolver. I saw Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta was in Revolver, and that film perplexed me. I saw it about three times because I had a friend who loved it and insisted that you have to keep watching it until you sort of start to get it and you start to see more and more things throughout the film. Um, very unusual. And uh, so Ray Liotta kind of shits me for that reason. I feel like Goodfellas mm. was you know, absolutely groundbreaking. And there's been so many uh, techniques and styles that have evolved from that, that it didn't look so original for me watching it now, but it yeah, must I have understand. been revolutionary at the time. Like the, you, Did you mention it was one of the first films to sort of break away from the soundtrack thing rather than being all yeah, compositional? Yeah, yeah. And the music in it was fucking sick. Which is why it was my... Um my mm. uh, soundtrack of the monthly soundtrack of the week last week. Mm. Yeah, it was great. I heard the I heard the Mondo Carne song in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Harry Nilsson, absolute banger. What's the song called? Jump in the Fire or something? Haven't talked about Harry Nilsson on this podcast. Love him. Amazing. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So Ray Liotta kind of irks me a little bit. Anyway, that's enough on. It's enough on uh, Goodfellas. You know, you know, you're funny. What do you mean? Your way that was I a great talk. Scene. What? <laughs> That was a really good scene. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? I'm funny? I'm funny? You mean like a clown to amuse you? Mm. Mm. I make you laugh? I'm fucking amuse you? What do you mean funny? I'm funny how? <laughs> fucking love that scene. Anyway. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> right. Monthly soundtrack of the week. Monthly soundtrack of the week. Now it's time for Jim Soundtrack of the Week. It's time for Jim Soundtrack of the Week. It's time for Jim Soundtrack of the Week. For the week, for the week, week, week. It's time for Jim Soundtrack of the Week. Yes, it's right. It's time for the time of the week. Yeah. So that one composer I haven't mentioned in this section yet is Jerry Goldsmith. He wrote some amazing soundtracks, including Alien, Total Recall, Poltergeist, Rambo, the Omen, you know, The Omen, mm-hmm. uh, and Warlock, Never starring the Julian Sands. That's the film you've got to watch, Warlock. Warlock. Isn't it? Yeah, starring Julian Sands, who, surprise, you're dead. Julian Sands is dead. Oh, yeah. uh, what, what am I in for if I watch Warlock? It's good. You'll, you'll enjoy it. Is it? Yeah, honestly, it's good. Okay, okay. Yeah. all right. I'll tell you what, watch Warlock and The Irishman. And, and you can t- you can choose which one to talk about. Uh, anyway, the score I want to mention in this episode is Gremlins Two, released in 1990. Why? Oh, why? I know why. Am I here I to fucking why. amuse you? Am I here to fucking amuse you? Am I? Uh, fucking you're funny. Um, no, because there's a scene during the film when this yep. mutated spider gremlin attacks and surprise, your dead's playing by Frank yeah. Fillmore. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the score is pretty cool. Not as good as the original Gremlins film score. That's better. Than... Mm. Yeah. I, I always like the... Oh, hang on. <laughs> oh, it's fucking beautiful. It's fucking beautiful. And then that little, that scene where he's sitting at the, I've I've actually got a I've got a mugway I've got a little I wanted gizmo. a mugway when I was a kid. I wanted to, I wanted to come in one Christmas, Christmas Eve, 
and under the tree there's like a little oriental decorated box and open it up and this little mogwai comes out. I'd always wanted that. Mm. Him riding around house in like a Barbie car. Yeah. Mum and dad never got me one. Oh, it was Gremlins 2 had the scene where he did the Rambo scene, right? Rambo. Yes. So, yep, so that's my recommendation. Go listen to Gremlins 2 soundtrack. Or even better, listen to the Gremlins 1 soundtrack because that's actually better. No, music sucks. I hate all music now. Um, Faith no more, I'll play, don't lose it. Still got stereo, still want to use it. To the child there to the house to choose it. Check out podcast croissants, you use it. Bullshit. <laughs> uh, I've got loads of new music. Okay, let's 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 smash through it because I feel like we're we're dragging a little. Okay, let's right. First on. one is it's a cover of Amoeba by the Adolescents by Mike and his Ook. Okay. That's short for an ukulele. Mike and his Ook. Oh, okay. and it features Ephraim Schutz on Schutz on vocals who was in Death by Stereo uh, on background vocals it features Mike Cambra who was actually in The Adolescents on guitar it's Ego Plum who was the Spongebob Squarepants and the Cuphead show composer and on bass Mr. Bill Gold from Faith No More it's a cover that they're doing I didn't hear about this I missed the memo Mr. Memo oh it's out there you can okay. hear it Mike and his the group's called Mike and his Ook. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Mike and his Ook. Go on then, what you got? I've got an album from a band called Squid. It's just kind of weird. Oh, yeah, Squid. Weird music. Squid. The album's called Oh Monolith. It's good. I don't, don't, I don't really know anything about it. I didn't look up anything about we it. We discussed monoliths on last episode. Oh, we did. Oh, that would have been timely. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that the Squid, Oh Monolith. Uh, that's that's good. I don't know enough about it to really say anything except for it's a bit weird and I always play a little bit of the music underneath as we talk about it so people can pick up on what that's yep, about. Yeah, you do. Yep, yep. Can I keep going or do you want to jump? Do you want to? I'll jump, jump in. I'll jump okay. in. Do it. Do it. Umlaut, the band that features Bear McKinnon, I've released yes. a single called Every Time, which oh, is I'm glad you cool. mentioned that. Yeah. It also features Danny Heifetz, and if you want to. Hear the song and then hear more about the song. You can check out the Vinyl Guide podcast because they interviewed uh, both Danny and Bear. That was a great interview. Can I do a light spoiler about that interview? Yeah, without actually saying it, but it's the first time we've heard a response on how they felt about Mr. Bungle getting back together uh, without them. They do Mm. touch on it. They discuss what's happening. Like Rolf Harris. Yeah, Vinyl Guide. What? It's got nothing to do with Rolf Harris. <laughs> Touching Michael. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Right. Go on. Yeah, go. Uh, Boris. You know Boris? Not personally. No. Well, Boris... Uh, uh, oh, God. See, I should do my research. Boris, uh, to my knowledge, a Japanese band. I'm going to run with that. I'm pretty sure they're Japanese. Uh, but they're very Melvin-sounding. If you like Melvins, you'll probably like Boris. Uh, they obviously name themselves after a Melvin song in calling themselves Boris. They've done an, al- an album with a band called Uniform, and I guess it's a collaboration. The album's called Bright New Disease, and it's awesome. And I will say it's better than Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo. Mm. And what I, the reason I say that is that it's, it ventures into weird 
thrash moments. But it's just so much more interesting and cool and great. It's really good. If you enjoyed the, the Bungle Raging Wrath stuff, then uh, mm-hmm. definitely check out Bright New Disease from Boris with Uniform. Sounds nice. Mm. I've still got two more. So I want to move. I've got one more. Okay. Uh, I've got uh, Empire State Bastard, which is a band including Dave Lombardo on the drums and Simon Neal from Biff, Biffy, Biffy, Biffy Clyro singing. Oh. And it's good. It's heavy. But then I it's not this. heavy. Yeah. I heard Newman this. I loved it. one I, I, I liked. Yeah. So hang on. What's the project called? Empire State Bastard. Empire State Bastard. I, I'm sure I heard this because... There it is. Empire State Bastard. Oh, there's more. There's more singles than the one... I'm sure I heard one of them. Anyway, that's really yep. boring commentary for me. Sorry, everybody. Yep. Right, go on. Keep going. Uh, okay. These two I'm actually very excited about sharing, but Ooh. one of them... Okay. One of them, there's an EP out from a group called Better Lovers. Uh, it is some of the best new music I've heard in a really long time. I love it. It's heavy. It's heavy. It's... uh pretty metal uh, but right. it's interesting it's interesting and it's Greg Pucciato I don't know if that's how you say his name but I'll run with it Pucci Pucciato Pucciato Greg Pucciato uh, from Dillinger Escape Plan and Black Queen and so to me he's just one of the best vocalists going at the moment and it's awesome music it's interesting heavy and melodic and good sounds like fun I'll have to check that mm. out. It's, an, it's a, it's a must-listen if you're... A, especially if you're a Dillinger fan. I've got... In, I'm really looking forward to doing our uh, Alternate Universe episode because I reckon that if Faith No More were to keep going and Patton was to tap out, then Greg, Greg Pucciato is the perfect guy to stand in. Mm, interesting. Yeah. He's fucking... He's awesome. I love him. Okay. And then I've also got one more to mention... Uh, and I'm, I don't know if it's her name, but it's, I've got it as Via Mardo. Via Mardo, as in like via, go via that way. She's a composer. And on her Instagram, she will often post videos of her performing her music. Very Morriconian style, Spaghetti Western. You would like her. If you're on Instagram, Jim. Yes. Which I believe you are. I, I know you're not on there a lot. But Via Mardo, V I A M A R D O T. Uh, great to follow her on Instagram to see the instruments she's playing because uh, mm-hmm. she plays a bit of theremin, and she's got the she's got the bells, the, the, the gongy bells. I don't know what you call them. The tubes, tubular bells. The dong, they go dong. <laughs> Are they actually called tubular bells? Mm, I don't know. Is that just a Mike Oldfield ref- reference? And then, uh, yeah, I, I did listen to some of her music on Spotify. That There's no songs that really stand out as extraordinary, but for right now, anyone who's on Instagram and wants to follow someone who does very Morricone-style sort of tunes, then Viamato. Yep, great. Awesome. Woo! <coughs> Here we go. Lovely, lovely. They've got a couple of bits. So, 
I haven't done... <laughs> fucking hell, I haven't done any research, have I? Fucking <laughs> hell. Right. Um, so, yeah, the guys that brought us the Real Thing role-playing game are releasing uh, follow-up Angel Dust and King for a Day Fool for a Lifetime role-playing games. They've just yeah. done the Kickstarter thingy. Don't know much about yep. it other than, yep, that's happening. Yeah. Um, second thing is Mr. Bungle have announced new tour dates in September yeah. in the Americas. Um, and they've said that these are the last dates they are doing this year. Um, what else have I got to say? Man on Man touring. They're coming to the UK and Europe. And I think I might go see them on October the 29th at Leeds. If anybody out there wants to Man. join me. Oh, you've been secretive in the past about which show you go to, and now you're all oh, excited I? about me. All right, no, I think I yeah. might go to Norwich on November. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that you're so you're close enough that they'd want to go to the trouble to visit. Because oh, hang on, men or men have been to the UK before, haven't they? Yeah, that's all. Like not last year. year you've seen them already. Yeah. See, they're already visiting hung out the with hung time, out with Roddy. The problem is Australia is so far away that when our artists do actually come here, they come here for festivals, and festivals fucking suck. It's too much to come here for your own private shows. I sh- I'm, I'll, what I'll do is I'll write to Roddy and yeah. I'll say, look, I know enough people around Australia that will put you up. You don't have to worry about your accommodation. Uh, yeah. We'll feed you. Yeah. And uh, all you need to do is just fly yourself over and do your shows. I'll put yeah. him up. There'll be a newborn here. Probably won't get any sleep, but you do it. <laughs> Is that that's, it? Yeah, so that's F and M news. Yeah, so that's it. That's it. Oh, we got there. Holy moly, this has been a long drawn out. I mean, look, I have to take a lot of responsibility for how long this has all taken. There's been you now we talk in the background. Hey, dude, can we record this week? Can we record end of this week, early next week? And there's just always my weekends have been. Just nah, nah, not, I'm not and... going to let you take responsibility for it. Oh, for, it's your fault the last the time. The fact that, that <laughs> there's a two-month gap in between um, episodes. No, 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 no. I've been really busy at work as well. End of term and all that pizzazz. Right, yeah. what we what we doing next episode? Are we continuing along the, um, the slippery slope into uh, the real thing, which would make it zombie as next one? Yeah, I think if we deviate, let's deviate after the real thing episode. Like, let's do half the album. Let's do zombie eaters All and right. the real thing, and then maybe. But I think to deviate, we should do Bill Gould. We haven't. Oh, we, we haven't done so Bill much yet. Work. Yeah, but you'll be you'll be oh, nursing babies at four o'clock in the morning then, so you'll have I loads of spare time. Notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we got there. Catch catch you all in two three months. Yeah. I'll be a dad then. Next time, next time we're on air, you'll be a dad. I'm here to fucking amuse you. How the fuck is so funny about me? It's not over yet. Don't you remember? I won't let you forget the heat that I bestowed a fatal blow. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> <laughs>